Hi, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Boy, oh boy, Mom, you sure know how to hydrate a good podcast. Welcome to Hydrate Level 4, a podcast where we take a look back at the movies that we grew up watching with a grown-up perspective. And joining me on this episode are the ladies of the Cutaways podcast. How are you doing, ladies? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, now, this movie... Actually, you know what? Why don't you talk about your podcast first? Okay. Um, hi, I'm Justine of the Cutaways Podcast. Woo. And I'm Ashley of the Cutaways Podcast. <laughs> uh, we watch romantic comedies through the ages. We're exploring the history from the beginning to current times, although we haven't made it to current times yet. We've been we've been chugging along for for about a year, yep. Well, actually, over a year now, and we just hit the nineties. Nineties <laughs> rom coms. Yeah, that is awesome. You guys, um, not too long ago, did Clueless, one of my personal favorites. So definitely yes. check that out. That was my bachelorette party. Ashley got married. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an awesome concept. Um, I'm a huge fan of rom coms myself. Um, you know, it's just. One of those things that you don't need to take seriously. And I feel there's a lot of movie podcasts out there that take this stuff seriously. But like, bruh, it's not all that serious. Like, you know, you can have fun and watch some rom-coms too. Oh, yeah. We've we've learned quite a lot. I mean, I didn't know rom-coms spanned all the way back into, the, uh, into 1918. Uh, like, that just is insane to me that it existed all the way back in silent film. Like... For me, rom-coms really started in the 90s, and that's where they got their formula, and that's where it all kind of became the quote-unquote chick flick, I guess, movement, right. if you want to say that. Uh, but yeah, there's been quite a few. Um, we've learned to fall in love with Cary Grant. Uh, we've had some really great, great things. Also, Tom Hanks is this generation's Cary Grant. Actually, I was about to ask that who, who's pretty, uh, you know, comparable to uh, to Cary Grant now. And what are what would you say are like the comparisons between the two? Why would you uh, choose Tom Hanks? Um, it's that when we watch Cary Grant, at least for me, it's it's the the ability to deliver the to deliver a comedy bit, but also have it have the physicality behind it Mm -hmm. and tom hanks really has all of those things he has like this weird modern vaudevillian kind of esque to him which is cary grant was a vaudevillian trained actor so he had this suave and also this kind of grace to his comedy that was just really nice to have so that's where where we kind of came up with tom hanks being the the comparable of this this generation because we don't really have any suave comedians anymore. No. Is, is there anybody close to to him? No, we've been... You've been we, really pondering, had, huh? Yeah. yeah, it was like months of this. It wasn't until we actually hit the 90s and had our first Tom Hanks film. I think it was The Money Pit where we were just like, oh my God, Tom Hanks is Cary Grant. Yeah. Like once you... It's one of those weird things that if you see enough, when you watch enough Cary Grant and, and you watch him specifically in the comedy aspects, you remove all of the drama that he did. When you see him next to Tom Hanks, it's just this weird kind of thing of like this clicking moment in your brain. It's like one of those things that you can't really describe unless you see it mm. for me. Okay. <laughs> and and your, um, 
uh, example would be Money Pit. Yes. Okay. Uh, Tom Hanks is a ton of physical comedy in it. Um, we, I think we opened our episode with just what was it the two minute laugh? Yeah. Of of Tom Hanks, uh, just <laughs> there. There's this bit where a bathtub falls through the ceiling, and he has just been dealing with so much that day that instead of crying, he just stands there and laughs for a straight two minutes. Yeah, I, is that uh, equivalent to his pee scene in uh, League of Their Own? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. It. it uh, what you're describing. Okay. So, Money Pit. I can't say it's a movie that I've seen. I. I am familiar with the movie. It's got Shelley Long, right, as his yes. wife. Okay. Yes. So, what you're describing kind of reminds me of his character from Dragnet. Is it anything like that? I have not actually heard of that. Oh, I okay. Seen it. Okay. Um, Dragnet was, you know, based on the TV show, uh, and it right. starred um, Tom Hanks as the um he was the the uh the partner to Dan Aykroyd's uh main character i you know i apologize i haven't seen the movie in a long time so i forget their names but it's Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks uh as these cops you know and it's just based on the tv show um you know the the whole like uh my girl friday and all that wait is that from dragnet or is that something else uh his girl friday is actually a romantic comedy oh okay so one that we yeah. Somebody's name is Friday. We, we watched it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, it stars Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm just mixing a bunch of movies into one is what I'm doing. But I think Dan Aykroyd's character's name is Friday. Yeah, because Tom Hanks' character was Pep Streebeck. But um, it's funny. I liked it. I don't know if it holds up because it's been a long time. But in there, Tom Hanks' uh, his character is very quirky and stuff, too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of quirk and a lot of charm to it. It's yeah. just like it's like that glint in the eye that they always gave the leading man. Yeah, yeah it's like he can be your best friend or he, your boyfriend yep. or yeah, he can be basically anything, which was which was the nice thing about Cary Grant is he was so his range was just so huge. Like he did everything from Hitchcock to um just his girl Friday, just plain old romantic comedy of just talking really fast. And that's actually where Gilmore Girls gets its um, idea of this talking really fast and this high paced um, kind of dialogue heavy uh, show or movie, which is basically what his girl Friday is, is just talking all the time. Oh, but, okay. But, but it, it plays into this whole story of journalism. It, it, it makes this, commentary on journalism at the time it's actually quite serious when you when you put it into words yeah <laughs> mm. but but it is really funny there's lots of good good bits and that was our first Cary Grant that was our introduction into Cary Grant for our podcast and it was it was lovely mm, he's if a, I remember correctly he's a handsome man I would like him to be to be my friend too Yes. <laughs> See. Yeah. Now uh, I, I'm not familiar with Gilmore Girls, but this is a little shameless plug for me. Um, <laughs> if anyone missed the uh, the coverage of or the review of the Mighty Ducks, the first movie, I had um, guest. Um, well, I interviewed Aaron Schwartz, who was one of the Mighty Ducks, but he was also in Gilmore Girls, and yeah. in the future will be returning as a guest host for uh, his movie Heavyweights. So, um, oh, nice. yeah, a little Ooh. plug for a future episode here, too, for those that are going to be interested in that. Um, that sounds amazing. Yes, it does. Uh, I am so jealous. So, you know what? Why don't you... Uh, so, are you both fans of Gilmore Girls? 
I am. I don't think you've ever no, seen it. No, I've never seen any of it. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I was going to say, if you guys want to、um, send me some questions, I'll happily ask them you know, when,、oh. when he returns.、Ooh. I bet Ashley has a lot of I questions. Have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I、uh, always have a lot of may- questions. Maybe related to his character, too, because I, I, I don't know, you know how much,、um, you know, how much、uh, he was actually in, in the show. I just know he was from, from that. Of course, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so、uh, yeah, definitely check out the,、uh, the Cutaways podcast. So I think it's an awesome concept, and I think it's a great、uh, play on what you guys actually do. So, so there we go. Thank you. Yeah.、Um, okay, so before we get into the review of、uh, Beauty and the Beast, I want to revisit 1991, and let's start with some of the music. Uh, that were hot at the time. So, at the time of this movie's release, the looks like the number one song was Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation. Interesting.、Oh. Does that ring a bell to you guys? Not me. I was, how old was I? I was three at the time, <laughs> so、okay. I don't remember、um, most of the music. I think my mom and dad were both very big into Aerosmith at the、ah, time. Ah, okay. Let's so, see. I was eight.、Um, now, the funny thing is, when Prince passed away, I told、mm-hmm. myself, you know what? I, I know who he is and I know some of his you know, big hits, but I was like, how, how many songs do I actually know that are his? And usually, when like, a musician like, passes away, they start playing a lot of you know, their older stuff on the radio.、Oh, yeah. And I was surprised by how many songs I actually knew. So, I wonder if this is you know, that case where like, I don't know it by name, but if I heard it, maybe it's a song that I do know.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he had so much music. Like, for me, I was just like, oh, the Prince is that the guy. You just think Purple Rain? Yeah, I just think Purple Rain. And so when, when he did die, and I like, kind of looked up a little bit about him, because、uh, he was also he was in one of my favorite hockey movies. He did the national anthem in Mystery Alaska, which I thought was just absolutely hilarious.、Mm. Um, but yeah, he had so much music. I didn't know that he had. Done like what was it over 80, 80 songs or something like that? It's insane how much music he made. Oh, yeah, I in think in his lifetime. Yeah, I think there are some that aren't even released yet that they're probably going to be releasing. So, yeah,、um, but you know, I was more of a Michael Jackson fan, so I think that was the thing. You know, perhaps、yeah. Prince is a little bit more generational as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was number one for two weeks.、Uh, the number one song that Succeeded it was When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael、oh, Bolton. Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, we know that song. <laughs> yeah. Has that already played on any of your、uh, movies that you covered? No, no not yet. Not no. yet. It, I, it's going to. Oh, it、sure. has to. Yes. yes. I, I'm sure that there was an instance of it being used in a romantic comedy in our future. Yeah. Like, if it's not, that's just a missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that, that's almost one of those that you have to put in just about every romantic comedy. <laughs> almost. It's, it's, it's a title song.、Um, and the, the number one song that preceded it, I'm not familiar with this artist. Her name is Karen White, and the song is called Romantic.、Mm. I don't know it,、Nothing. but it sounds romantic. I bet it, yeah. It sounds it right up our alley. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. It, it'd be funny. It was like a complete opposite. It's just like uh, uh, you know, irony there.、Um, <laughs> it's not like a heartbreak song or something. I don't know.、Oh. <laughs> That's romantic. Yeah, very romantic. <laughs> Uh, all right, some of the movies that came out around this time.、Uh, let's see if、uh, any of you guys remember、uh, or even familiar with it. But、uh, Cool as Ice. 
I feel like I've seen a trailer for it, or cool at least ice. It stars Vanilla Ice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was yeah. gonna say it's either <laughs> yeah. like hockey or Vanilla Ice. Yeah, Vanilla Ice. That's, that's a good pool. That's a good. Pool. And I've seen all of the hockey <laughs> movies from that time period, and it's not one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, let's see. What about um, Strictly Business? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard of this. Yes, yeah. everyone heard about has. It. Yeah, <laughs> this little film called Strictly, Strictly Business. Business. Very I mean, little, independent, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Everybody, everybody doesn't parody yeah. that now at all. Some no name people. All. Yeah, yeah. The, this this Tom Cruise fella. Never heard of yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. What about Cape Fear? What was it? Cape Fear. Cape Fear. The Robert movie. De Niro. Yeah. Oh. That's not one I, I saw. Mm-mm, no. Not me. Yeah, that was one of the bigger movies too. Um, it looks like it made seventy nine million. Well, I guess maybe not so much. Now that I'm looking at other things like Beauty and the Beast, for example, was one hundred and forty five million. You know, grossing. So okay, maybe well, not Beauty as big and the as Beast I thought. Was huge. I've heard of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Did anybody watch The Adams Family? The movie? Yeah. Or the TV show? Yeah. 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 Movie. That actually came out, let's see here, the the week after uh, Beauty and the Beast. Wow. So, yeah, very close. And also My Girl uh, came out. Oh. I don't know if you guys remember oh. that one. Oh, that's, see? Yeah. Tell by our voices. <laughs> that's so yeah. sad. It is a sad one. Uh, that, that's one actually I want to eventually review. Did you guys ever see the second one? Mm, no. No. I no. think it was hand or see i watched a lot of these movies with my mother and i don't think we ever saw the second one i know we saw the first one we watched the first one a lot she loved that movie if i remember correctly I, again i was three and we <laughs> would just sit in front of the tv and you know do mommy daughter things sure like feed me <laughs> the, um i don't know if you saw this movie um the last action hero with arnold uh, I know Ish. of it. Yeah. Yeah, the kid from that movie, he was the the love interest in My Girl Two. Uh, if you can picture him at all. So, uh, last movie I want to throw out uh, is a movie I did cover on this um on this podcast, and that's Hook. Oh. Everyone loves <laughs> Hook. So that came out mm, almost a month after um Beauty and the Beast. So, and that still did um amazingly well because I mean. Robin Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Spielberg. So that's that's pretty self-explanatory. So there we are. Look back at 1991, around the the time that uh, Beauty and the Beast released. Wow, I can't believe all those movies came out around the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I like kind of reviewing, you know, going back and and just kind of listing because some people forget. Like, really, has it been that long? Of you course. Know? Yeah. Uh, so Beauty and the Beast also 1991 came out. This is weird because IMDb has it as November 22nd. But Box Office Mojo has it uh, uh, November 15th. So we're actually approaching its 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really awesome. Now, here is a big, I don't know the term here. So a big mm, secret, I guess I want to say. Mm. Not a movie I watched. <gasps> really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I know how beloved this movie is. It's a lot of people's number one Disney animated movie, which, shameless plug here, at We Got Five, Devin and I, we had, you know, his cousin uh, Mo, or uh, I'm sorry, his cousin M uh, from the Liquor Run podcast, we did a top five 
Disney animated movie. So anyone interested, check that out, courtdeparts.com. All right. So, but Beauty and the Beast, for whatever reason, this was not one that I grew up watching. And in the back of my mind, I felt, oh, you know, I probably saw a lot of scenes here and there. But watching the movie, it was literally a brand new movie to me. I think the only thing that I recall, um, I feel like I saw more of Lumiere, you know, like in bits and pieces throughout my lifetime than Mm -hmm. anything else. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, I know the the dancing scene, um, the waltz or whatever at at, at the very end. The ball, yes. And then the... um, and then the, the the rooftop, like somehow I that scene was very familiar. But everything else, like none of the other songs, really really stuck out to me at all. Hmm. Well, you know this um, was around the time period that Disney was revolutionizing um, just hand drawn animation. It was they call it the golden age of it's Disney the animation, the Renaissance. Um, and it started with, um, I believe. The Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid was what brought Howard Ashman and Alan Menken on uh, onto Disney's roster of composers, and these were Broadway mm-hmm. writers. They didn't like that's why this movie is kind of was really easily transitioned into a Broadway musical because this yeah. whole book was written by Broadway guys, and um, I remember. I've seen there's this documentary called Waking Up Sleeping Beauty, which is all about this time period for Disney animation. And because I don't know if you know this, but me and Justine are quite obsessed with Disney. <laughs> oh, a lot of people are. I am myself. Uh, but for wh- whatever reason, this is just one of the handful of movies I, I just missed out on. It was it. It kind of changed the game for animation. Um, it it create. It, was the first one that used actual created computer generated imagery. This was Pixar was still very in its infancy. It was they were working on um, Rescuers Down Under, which is considered the first computer yeah. animated movie, but it was only colored in a computer. It wasn't generated. So that ballroom scene, that whole background is the first thing that was ever generated from a computer for animation purposes. So it, it kind of changed the game and how animation was going to go. And then Toy Story came out and just kind of took on a fire of its own and Pixar became what it is today. So it, it's really interesting to see this movie in it, in the history of Disney animation. And I do really recommend watching Waking Up Sleeping Beauty because before The Little Mermaid came out, you had Disney animation that a lot of people don't even know today, which is Rescuers Down Under, Rescuers Down Under 2. You have uh, the uh, Mouse of Bakerville or Baskerville. And those didn't do very well. And so Disney was actually struggling. They were they were trying to keep their animation department going. Um, they were even thinking about folding it and stopping it, which is not something that you could ever like envision really happening because that's the backbone of Disney. That's what Walt Disney was, was a uh, hand-drawn animator. So it's kind of this interesting time period just on its own of for animation in and of itself. So, and of course, there's also a lot of emotion behind it because of Howard Ashman and he was dealing with AIDS while, while writing this. And so a lot of what is in the movie, a lot of like those really big 
heartfelt kind of scenes, he was going through these very emotional, personal turmoilist things and didn't tell anybody. He actually never knew that um, Beauty and the Beast won the Oscar for um, Tale as Old as Time, which is just very upsetting to me because... I, I, he wrote the Little Mermaid. Like he changed the the way that the Little Mermaid was going to be produced. Um, he did the same thing with Beauty and the Beast, and he was even starting to work on Aladdin before he passed away. So there's just like a lot of emotion behind it, and it's just this really nice homage to him. And they even give him like a really nice um, little homage at the end, where uh, at the very end of the credits they say, "We remember Howard who gave a." mermaid her voice and a beast his song i think is what it is his soul his soul and it it really does say something to what what broadway brings to the table when it comes to just story wise like these guys know story in and out they know what works and i would love to see more like integration between you know the film industry and and broadway in general I, i i mean we have rent and we have like Chicago and these, these things, but animation just gives you that whole level um, that I think kind of adds to, to the imagination that Broadway asks you to kind of come to the table with. So I tend to, I tend to have a lot of emotions about beauty and the beast and and this time period of animation. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I I did kind of go back and look at some of those uh, production notes and, uh, you know, trivia and stuff like that on IMDb. And it was very, um, you know, what, what you're speaking about the, the the songwriter. He passed away at 40, you know, just mm-hmm. such a young age. And I think they said like eight months before the movie's release, too. So uh, far from like seeing the completed, you know, um, yeah. product. Well, and it was before really AIDS was recognized as uh, not as a disease, but it didn't have it still had this huge stigma behind it like right. uh, and he he refused to tell anybody that he was going through this um i think only alan mankin knew and it, it was like not even something that he wanted talked about it was just i'm going to go to work until i can't anymore and he just deteriorated very quickly very like it was it was before the the AIDS drug kind of came out to actually like stabilize the immune system. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it's really sad that he deteriorated so fast because it was like a couple of months between him starting to work on Aladdin and finishing up on beauty and the beast to where he was hospitalized completely and couldn't move there. They get really like intense with this documentary, but um, before he passed away and when they were going through, um, test screenings with it they went and visited him one last time in the hospital before he passed and he was wearing his beauty and the beast sweatshirt when he passed away i know it's like really heart-wrenching and yeah but that's that's all in the documentary oh yes um they Mm. cover a lot of it and just him coming on to disney production i mean he when they first um brought alan menken and howard ashman who at the time had only written uh, i believe it was little shop of horrors for broadway i think they met they worked on other things just not together the i think uh little shop of horrors is what they're credited as together for the first time and they um were pitching these stories to him and howard i guess just had this kind of like 
no, 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 that's not where you want to go ever. Don't ever do that with storytelling kind of thing. Um, and completely changed the way that Disney thought about the story in general. Because um, he threw out like half of the Little Mermaid script. He said, this is unacceptable. Like, yes, I'm the songwriter, but if you want me to write songs around your story, you need to fix your story. And they would have these really intense like back and forth uh, meetings in the writing room. And it was good for the animation at the time, but it wasn't necessarily always good for the people <laughs> involved because it was it was intense. It was, you know, when you have somebody who's very passionate about storytelling, it can be <laughs> a little they can come off as, I guess, a little abrasive <laughs> is the best sure. word I can come up with. Yeah, I mean, it, it ended up being a great product, you know, uh, when all said and done. Well, and they learned a lot. I mean, after. After The Little Mermaid, they went on to do uh, Beauty and the Beast, which got nominated. It was the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture Award at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And then they went on to do Aladdin, which is probably one of the biggest ones of my generation. A lot of people talk about Beauty and the Beast, but then they also always say, well, then there was Aladdin as well. Yeah, Aladdin, Lion King. Lion King. Yeah, it, there's so many. <laughs> it, it touched. He touched all of these things without actually being there, which is good way to go in my opinion you know that is still crazy to me to to that that i have missed this i don't know how you guys feel about like me not having seen this movie <laughs> oh no you're but good i'm a huge fan of the little mermaid and aladdin so how did i miss the movie that was in between it so that just that that's that's weird to me you know um uh, little mermaid is definitely one of my fa favorite disney animated movies of, of, of all time so yeah that's just just, just really odd and in watching this movie, there are things that I'm questioning myself. Like, why is this this way? So I'm, clearly you guys are the experts and, and <laughs> you're going to be answering a lot of things for me because I do have a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, but you did mention that this was a uh, Best Picture nominee, the first, you know, animated. Uh, it was the first, it was the, like the second Disney one since Mary Poppins back in 64 also. So that kind of, mm -hmm. that says a lot. And, and then since... Um, since Beating the Beast came out, the next two were up in Toy Story 3, I think it was. Um, but those yes. were also with Pixar, too. So, um, yeah, Beauty and the Beast was definitely a trailblazer for a lot of the uh, the upcoming movies here. So that's awesome. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like when you um, I think there's this scene in Frozen that actually duplicates part of the the camera tilt down yeah. in the through the chandelier. Scene. Yeah, and it's like it it still is influencing animation today, which I think is is why it's one of one of Disney's most important ones. So, yeah, you, you know, one thing I did notice that um, I thought this was was too short. You know, I, I felt, uh, you know, they could have touched on uh, certain things, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, based on my notes here. But basically how I take my notes is if how I would live tweet, if if, mm -hmm. if that's something that I actually did. Mm -hmm. um, so if you guys are ready, we could just jump into it and start answering of some of my questions I got here. Yes. So one thing I didn't know was that Belle, she is a regular townsfolk. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I thought, I guess I never really thought it, whether she lived in a castle or something, but I thought she was an actual princess. Yeah. No, um, she married into she it. She married right. into it. She, yeah. She's like Cinderella, where they just she, got lucky. Yeah, her and, and like Aladdin, you know, he married into oh, it yeah. too. Mm -hmm. you know? I guess so, we, can, we can have a male representative <laughs> as well. <laughs> sure, we'll just throw one in, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was just weird to me. Um, not in a bad way. I was just like, 
oh, okay, because, you know, the, the opening number, she's singing, she's walking through town, and I think the lyrics are a little funny because she's just like, oh, hey, well, look at this guy. He's just doing this as usual. And, you know, I think it's a, a very interesting, I don't think metaphor would be the right word, but she, she talks about always, you know, reading books. And, and is she kind of like detached from reality or something? Is that her character? I know she's like book smart and always reading. She's more, uh, for me, like uh, there's different inter- interpretations that you can do, of course, especially with animation. They leave a lot open for interpretation. Um, but for me, it was always, I grew up in a small town and it was always very monotonous, similar to how Belle is introduced. And she wanted adventure. She she wanted to be away from this same old, same old every day. It was more about the adventure, not necessarily detached from reality. Um, mm-hmm. She's just, she's questioning the fact that there there has to be more to life than what's going on in this small, tiny section of the world. Um, I want to, I want to go see sword fighting. I want to, you know, Go off into the great wide somewhere. Uh, so, so you're saying she feels that there's a whole new world outside of her town. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got it. Now, sp- speaking of, of refer- referencing uh, Little Mermaid here, Gaston looks like Prince Eric on steroids with a ponytail. <laughs> oh. I never thought of that. Yeah, I never thought does. of that either. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but Gaston, I think that's French for boy, right? Uh, it sounds right. Gaston? I, I, I took like French in high sir? school. But Gaston. Gaston. No, you, you know what? You, you're probably right. It's garçon. Uh, garçon. Garçon yeah, means boy, like yeah. waiter or something. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so what are these women, this three blondes that are <laughs> just in love with Gaston, that they, they look like triplets almost, but they are slightly different. I don't think they're triplets, but it's just three blondes that are just clearly in love with them they don't touch on these characters but they show up at least two or three times they're like the i don't want to say they're like muses but they're they're the heaving bosoms of this world yes they are (laughs) okay i like that that's clearly (laughs) that's what they are uh i I think it was very interesting too to have them uh be the blondes and i think i read that Belle is the first brunette uh princess uh as well and I, i feel like let me see. Snow White was, had black hair. Cinderella was blonde. Ariel redhead. So it, it's like every everyone they they try to have different hair colors. So yeah. well, especially um, in the '90s when they were trying to to reinvent, they didn't want things to look like Cinderella. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really wanted their their quote unquote princesses to look vastly different from what their I guess their most recognizable princess at the time was right. which was Cinderella. So they really shied away from blondes. Um which I think is good. Um not so much color like uh skin color or race diversity, but that's that, after that, they that... ran out of hair colors. <laughs> <laughs> that's to come. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, let's see here. I I've I really like the relationship between her and her father just because like, you know, obviously throughout this this episode here I'm going to reference like uh, other um you know, Disney properties I'm more familiar with. But, mm-hmm. you know, in Little Mermaid, we, we see the relationship between King Triton and Ariel, where he's just very, well, he's a king, right? I mean, I guess these yeah. are a, a regular family. So I did appreciate that off the bat, because, again, coming in brand new, I had no idea that she's not royalty. So, 
he is Doc Brown, right? He's a, like a, <laughs> kind of a mad scientist, yes, you know, yes. and um, just very eccentric. And she, she adores her father. You know, mm-hmm. she believes in everything he does. And I, I wished at this point that there was a little bit more that's going to kind of uh, foreshadow like the turn of the uh, of the townsfolk on him because I felt that was like too convenient at that point. So I felt like at this point, maybe they could have incorporated something where there was this reputation he had amongst the people, you know, that he might be kind of crazy. I think they kind of mentioned it in the, the opening song where they okay. talk about her father. Yes, they do. Well, okay. and then uh, they, they did... Um, a lot of people have the similar feelings to that as well. Um, they did add a whole other song <laughs> in the Broadway version that that does exp- that gives you a little bit more insight into just Maurice's personality and why um, the town's people have the ability to turn on him a little bit. And I so. gotta say, I love that name Maurice. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just a very. Um, it's not a it's not a a name you would think to be in a Disney movie. I, I guess it's the best way I could kind of put it. So when I heard that, I was like, "Well, first I have a friend named Maurice, and that's not the reason I love that name. <laughs> but I just I just I think it's a great name, you know. And um, it just it just came out of nowhere. I was just like, "Oh, Maurice, that's a very interesting, you know. It doesn't uh, it it doesn't give me that feeling like when you hear King Triton, you know, or, or something like that. You know, it's just it's Maurice. Sweet. Yeah, it's he, he, human. Yeah." yeah. It is. Yeah, he's just he's just a regular guy. He's not a king. So yeah. so I do like that. Um I guess I forgot to put out that uh, apparently I watched the, a special edition um okay. because there's an added song which you guys probably know about this whole deal here. But mm-hmm. the added song I go, "Huh, it kind of it almost like feels off." And then mm-hmm. like a- after reading some information, I go, "Oh, that was a cut scene that they ended up adding." to the version that I actually watched. And that made a lot of sense. So I don't know if it added anything, though, you know, for, for me. So I it, it made sense to me. And I probably could have done it without still. Um, and the one I'm referring to is... Uh, Human w- Again? Human Again, yes. Uh, what do you guys think about that song? We have opposing views. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I should preface this. I was in Beauty and the Beast in high school. I was part of the ensemble cast of my high school play. Um, we were one of the first high schools that were allowed to do it when it went off Broadway. Um, so we did the play with all of the added songs, all of the added Broadway aspects to it. And um, we had an extra song for Maurice, and then we had Human Again. And I guess because I experienced Human Again before I actually saw it animated, um, it has this this nice quality of just letting you get to know the it gives you a nice moment with Cogsworth and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts um, where you know you have this thing where they've been cursed and it wasn't as a fault of their own it was at a fault of someone else that they were cursed and it gives this nice thing of oh they're not angry at him they are hopeful that he is going to break the curse for them kind of thing okay and I don't like the added number <laughs> because I grew up with, you know, the original theatrical release since I was young and watching that over and over and over again. And I remembered when they did the re-release in 2000 when they were putting all the 
old uh, Disney movies back in the theaters so we can see them again with their added new scenes. And I, it just felt like a gimmick to me. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. Um, I don't know if people know this about me, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Back to the Future. And um, when when it came out on, I want to say DVD the first time, they included deleted scenes for the very first time. And, you know, I have always said Back to the Future is my Star Wars, you know, to kind of to paint a picture, you know, how much I love that franchise. And watching those deleted scenes, I go, you know what? I can do without those. And I would have been okay not seeing some of those scenes because some of them were just bad. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, there, there's one scene where Marty's like walking through the hallway and he sees his mom cheating. I, I didn't need that, you know, and um, it was fun to watch. But it's it's probably kind of like that. Like I grew up on this movie. Yeah, those deleted scenes, they're they're whatevs. Maybe those extended uh, scenes, those you know, those would have been fine, I guess, if they were left in. But some of the deleted ones, I go, yeah, that's I don't even care for that stuff. It adds some validation to our job, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it shows that you know editing. A lot of people don't know that that the editing really. We don't just sit there and cut exactly what was in the script we don't sit there and say oh well this shot uh has to go in because the script sells us to you we have to find this balance of emotion and and what we're trying to tell to the the audience so it's really nice when when people say oh yeah the deleted scenes kind of sucked because <laughs> and we that go, means yeah. that they did their job it's ashley and i are film editors yes <laughs> yep. for those who don't know yeah sorry Oh, no problem. I mean, I, I probably should have spoke on that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, that that, that was the, the, the pun I mentioned, if if no one else caught that. Um, yeah, that's just, you know, I definitely have a more uh, an appreciation for uh, people that, that edit, you know, like yourselves, uh, in, in any aspects, whether it be film, music, what have you, mm -hmm. uh, just getting into podcasting, you know, here I am at about, I want to say two and a half years that I've been doing this. Sounds about right. I, Ooh, I can't math right nice. now. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, and just the, oh gosh, just the editing of, uh, <laughs> oh, and this this is just one show that I've been doing for two and a half years. I mean, I've I've got all these. Is it two and a half or is it one and a half? See, I, I can't even think right <laughs> now. But, but I, it feels like two and a half because I do all these other podcasts as well, not just Hydrate Level Four. So, there's a lot of editing that go into just like an hour and a half episode. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, and I am one that I, I do care how my product sounds. I'm not um, a well-spoken person like some of like some of my co-hosts, where they don't need to edit. Uh, they could just throw on their bumper music and, and that's it, you know, and and still be very good. Well, I I don't have that luxury. Like I'm not well-versed. I struggle with vocabulary, so I have to do some editing. So I appreciate all the things you guys do, and for to work with film and and visuals to to evoke emotion and stuff like that. So I. I commend for your guys' work, and it uh, is it a thankless job? Do you feel? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it. There's a lot of respect for the position in certain aspects of the industry. Mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. is the the nice way of saying it. <laughs> um, I've had actors that I've edited come up to me and be like, "Oh, you're the best. You saved me." Because it's like I'm <laughs> controlling their lives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and. And some actors just don't view that as a thing. Um, there are some some very very ha ah, bad experiences, but sure. 
I mean, it's really nice um, when you have people who don't actually, people outside of the industry say, oh, I really liked how that felt mm-hmm. because that means that the editor did their job and that is more of a thank you than the producers saying, oh, here, here's pizza. Thank you so much for your <laughs> lovely work. Yeah, it's, I mean, we appreciate the free food. I'm not going to s- try and say that, but... Um, no, more people should be like, that match cut was really nice. Like, yeah. that dip to black. Ooh, I really <laughs> felt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it is definitely, I think... Because it's a job that you have to focus on invisibility, almost your your job is you have to go in and you have to you have all of these factors that you have to make look good. You have to make your your director look good in the fact that he had a story that was good. You have to make your writer look good to make it look like they you know made a coherent story, even if you completely reverse their script around. Yeah, even uh, making a coherent sentence. Yes, making a coherent sentence is half of the job, um, <laughs> but. You also, you have to make your DP look good Mm -hmm. and you have to make your actors look good. So there's a lot of people that are relying on you that sometimes they forget that, I think, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, and usually uh, credits just go to the director, you know. Um, I think it really came to light for me, uh, you know, the importance of an editor when um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad. And mm-hmm. I listened to their official podcast, you know, with Vince Gilligan and all of that. And, well, the host of that show is their editor. Kelly Dixon. Uh, Kelly, yes. I, I, I remembered Kelly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like hearing her insights and stuff was always awesome. But it was also, um, I, f- I, can, I can hear it when she speaks that she feels rewarded when they uh, commend her for her editing work. And they always, you know, like tip their hat to her, you know, for, oh, for the she's... editing of... She's yeah. my edit crush. I <laughs> yeah. love her. She has a, a very similar style to how I want to edit. She, I, I, ugh. I, if I could, I, I want to meet her one day, like just to give her a hug, just for existing. Like that's, and other editors feel that way about, you know, editors. Like some people feel that way about Walter Murch. Some people mm-hmm. feel that way about Thelma Schumacher. I mean, there's so many editors that, that I mean, we know because we, we study it, but they they go out and they don't really, you know, have notarization about what it is that they actually do. Like a lot of people think that it's it's a robotic job, which is where I get my whole real bad robot thing. Because in school, <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, I'm not an editor that is a robot. I am a really bad robot at that. So that kind of became my like view on editing as a as a I guess a career is that you shouldn't be a robot. You shouldn't just follow your script. I mean, read the script, know what you're, you're getting in your dailies and watch what you have and then see if you can actually maybe give a semblance of what your, your writer was going for. Watch the dailies, find the heart. Yeah. Find, find the stuff that's really connecting with you because then it'll connect with an audience. Yeah, man, that's awesome. This is really great insight to to what you guys do. So I'm really fascinated by this. Hopefully nobody's like, get on with the review of Beauty and the Beast. Like, I'm just fanboying out because I, I love the behind the scenes stuff and, and hearing people's like, uh, you know, just insights in, into what they do, you know, and to, to, to um, you know, show us, 
you know, what we watch and what we enjoy, you know, because a lot of people, they watch movies as, as a getaway from reality, mm -hmm. you know, and for, for what you guys do, that you guys are a big hand in that. So, oh, yeah, really that's awesome stuff. That's the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, and I don't want to sound like, oh, it's just the editor who's doing it. I, I do want to give <laughs> shout outs because, cause right now I am an assistant editor. So I, I'm working on, you know, feature films with an editor. And I, you know, there's a lot of things that the assistant editor does that, you know, can't be, the movie wouldn't be made without the assistant editor. So. I mean, I was up until 2.30 this morning and I had somebody tell me, oh, the movie wouldn't be ready for Sundance without you. And that was like a very yeah. good appreciation kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's always nice to, to feel appreciated. So that's, oh, yeah. that, that's awesome that they recognize that. Oh, yeah, it's nice. Just yeah, wouldn't have so. liked 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that sounds like podcasting work oh, as well. Yeah. You know, for some people, just staying uh, up all night, whether it's watching a movie or editing. Yeah, I've I've definitely been there, running on two three hours, and I go straight to work. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, let's see here. So we got this scene with uh, Maurice. Um, he's he's riding Philippe, you know, through the forest here and gets <laughs> lost, trying to take a shortcut, and he doesn't trust Philippe, but I guess he blames. Philippe for getting lost? I know. I always thought that was a he, jerk okay. move. Oh, oh, I always <laughs> not thought just it, me was, then. <laughs> it was the typical man. I'm not going to ask for directions or <laughs> yes. take any, yes. uh, what is it, accountability for my getting lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's exactly how I read it. And I'm just like, okay, so you blame the horse as soon as something <laughs> gets sketchy. You didn't want to listen to him. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. All right, so that just wasn't me. So he encountered some wolves that chased him to... And this is weird. The little bit that I did know about this um, about this movie was that the beast's name is Prince Adam. But oh, I didn't I even know that. Oh, okay. See, yeah. I feel that I learned that maybe in our um, Disney animated movies episode on We Got Five, because we also had a uh, a, a Disney expert in. Um, she, I think she dropped that his name was Prince Adam, hmm. and for me, I was like, oh, that's He Man's name. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I think they did that in the Broadway. They revealed that his name was uh, Adam. Yeah, I think because I read that as movie. well. Yeah, it's never it's never in the movie. Uh, I don't think it's it's even not even when they go to do the credits. It, no, it's just, just Prince. Prince or, or Beast? Prince. Yeah, yeah. I I just thought that's very because I I th that's the first uh, mention of Beast or or the Prince in my notes is that oh wolves chase him to prince adam's castle <laughs> so uh, yeah and then, and then like watching the movie and ultimately finishing it i was just like they never said adam in this movie so yeah i yeah. thought that was very interesting um maurice meets lumiere and cogsworth uh and i just think it's hilarious that he uh maurice thinks that cogsworth was like an invention so he's like poking at it with his finger and um i thought that was uh that was really fun and the master, as they call him, which I think is only in this scene. I don't think they call him master again, but this is where we also meet Beast, and he's not happy that there's a stranger in his house. Um, what do you guys kind of remember the scene when you were younger? Like, did you find him very intimidating? Yeah, the way they present the Beast first off with, like, that shadow, and you see those, like, devil horns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is like he's, like, this devilish figure. It's pretty, it was pretty frightening. Oh, yeah. There there was definitely some terror, especially with, you know, adding the storm in the background and, and the lightning and all of that. That was just absolutely terrifying to me. 
the what or the what storm oh uh, the storm later on I, there's a lot of bits in this movie that are actually quite terrifying as a child i can i can see that um what I, what really stood out uh for me in this very scene was actually the voice of the beast i thought he had a really great voice and i thought i had heard it before but i was just like just admiring it i was like i wish i had a voice like that but uh the actor or the the voice actor i should say is uh robbie benson not a name i'm familiar with right this is uh before they started hiring face actors to do animation Mm. this is all voice actors good point yeah um Except for, like, Angela Lansbury. Well, yeah, Angela Lansbury. That was when Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, we need all of these stars in here. Let me get Robin Williams and Angela Lansbury and all these other Broadway names. Well, apparently Cogsworth was uh, written with John Cleese in mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so they definitely had some, um, you know, some ideas of, of having the, the big names. But, yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that now because, yikes, I, I don't think i can point out a name from anybody that voiced in uh, little mermaid so we all know steve from full house was aladdin so yes (laughs) oh and i love how they on full house they they played to that too yes oh yeah would they go to disneyland yes yeah yeah so for listeners that we got five Devin and i we talk about that often matter of fact we probably probably mentioned it in our uh preview to our coverage of fuller house at tv8 my brain too so for fans of Full House or Fuller House, check out TV Ate My Brain. Um, as you can see, I'm always trying to get listeners, so I'm always like shamelessly <laughs> plugging my other stuff. Um, okay, so we we get a scene of Gaston trying to woo Belle. And this is where I really get the sense of like how vain he is and he's just really conceited. But... Why is it... Okay, aside from that, I know that's a big deal breaker for a lot of people. But why is it that she's the only one that's not into him? Because clearly we got three blondes that just want to you know, be the first in line for that ring. Because so, she's smart. Yeah, she's smart. <laughs> well, for... That that really does explain it, though. I guess as, as, a, as a child, it just... Yeah, she's smart. Uh, as an adult, I'm taking it as, oh, Gaston is the representation of how society views masculinity and how he is so hyper-masculine and that is what society is telling men that that they want or that is the, the norm, mm-hmm. I guess is the better word to say. Um, so he is on the quest to have the most beautiful woman in the whole entire town and as somebody who, as Belle, who is, I guess, the representation of not necessarily feminism, but of... Feminine beauty? Feminine beauty. I guess when he references the fact that women shouldn't read and that there's too much thinking and that's just not good for a woman. Um, there's this whole, I guess, idea that she she rep- represents the feminine side of personality in general, is that it can sometimes be viewed as feminine to be intellectual. It can be looked down on, I guess is the better word. Mm. Um, so she is just that, that I guess, foil for, for Gaston and the hyper-masculinity, whereas she does not view the same things as society. She's saying, no, that I'm not, I value intelligence and, you know, humanity more than I in, uh, 
I uh, appreciate your violence or your need to be the best at everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, um, Belle is quickly climbing my princess ladder. You know, she's, <laughs> I, I, can't, I couldn't say she was really on it. I, I've never like really sat down and listed, which, by the way, um, is eventually going to be a future episode on We Got Five where we list our you know top five favorite uh, Disney princesses. But... Um, I'm glad I finally got to watch this because, like, she may not have made my list otherwise. But I'm really digging everything you guys are pointing out because, you know, me being a male, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I don't want to say overlooked, but I don't catch some of these cues. So again, I, I think you guys are like the perfect guests to have on for this, for this here. Um, I, I honestly, if if I had chosen to do this movie eventually, I definitely wouldn't have had another male join in on me. So. Um, so Belle finds out that her father is missing, uh, from, you know, reading Philippe's mind. And then he takes <laughs> mm-hmm. her over to the castle. And this is where, um, all the, uh, how, how do we, what, what do we call this, the group of, uh, of the household items? Is, is there a term that's used when referring to them as a whole? Uh, I always just say the staff or the servants. Oh, okay. yeah. Because uh, yeah. that's what that's what they refer yeah, to themselves as. Because if Beast is the master, they're the servants. Yeah. Okay. Got we'll some... call them the staff. I'm not digging that servant yeah. word. Okay. It's so the pre, it's pre Downton Abbey times. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, a show I also don't watch, which I know, I know. It's there's just so many great shows out there. It's hard to watch them all. The only reason I bring it up is because one of the actors is going to be the Beast in the live action version. So that's the only ah. reason I bring up Downton Abbey, really. I, I just I, I looked at his face earlier today. I go, yeah, I can see it. He looks just like the cartoon <laughs> version. Now I am confused by that teaser trailer that they did drop. Now we hear Lumiere and uh, Cogsworth. Um, Ian McKellen, I think, was Cogsworth, or uh, or was he Lumiere? I forget. I don't um, watch trailers, so I have no. I watched oh, okay. the trailer. I was like, oh! yeah, it's pretty much what you know how you feel. I had feels. Well, I, I, I am curious. Like, are are we getting CG versions of the staff? I, as far as I know, yes. Okay. They haven't really they released haven't, anything. They've been very stingy on what they're releasing. Like, yeah, to the they public. are. Okay, I I am very curious, and I think that's a good thing, right? They they oh, want yes. to create that curiosity. So, uh, I I am even more excited for that actually because. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the the recent uh, real, you know, like live adaptations. I've liked most of them, you know, for the most part. You know, some 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 were you know not so much, but I, I after watching this uh, the animated version, I I will be interested in watching the live one, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think I would have watched the the live one in the theater anyway because I have no ties to to this one. So I, I think I will watch it in the theater, though. Maybe take my daughter, which, um, you know, she she might like it. I think she likes Emma Thompson. Or, I'm sorry. Oh, Emma Thompson, Emma, Emma Thompson, Thompson is in it, it too. Yes. <laughs> but Emma Watson, yes, the, the the leading as Belle. Oh, yes. And it's a musical. It's going to be a musical. We just found that out. Sorry. It's very exciting. <laughs> okay. You know, that's... um. 
I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, because in this one, and this kind of goes for a lot of the Disney Disney movies as well, but this one in particular, one third of the movie is all singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so um, I can see that. You know, I, I've never seen the play, but I imagine it's very successful. So it did I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Very well on Broadway, yes. There what was the one that threw people off uh, into the woods. That mm-hmm. that was a musical, and I think that turned off a lot of people. But I watched it. I go, what's the problem? Like I I see no no wrong here. Like I I, I was not surprised actually. I I was like oh singing, but I quickly dismissed it. Like yeah, it's a Disney movie. They yeah. they Disneyfied they Disneyfied into the woods. into the yes. woods. It's much darker as it's, a musical. Oh yes, much more violent. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's mm. just like everybody dies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's see here. Um, okay, so Belle is talking to Beast, and she asks that he releases her dad, who he uh, has held, uh, has held captive for trespassing. So that's the sentence for trespassing is to be locked up forever. Well, we're not one hundred percent sure what the Beast is a monarchy uh, like. Who he? Who are his? his subjects who I mean okay. but he's just got to maintain his tough guy cranky image in front of his staff. <laughs> That's true, I guess. That, that could be it. That could be it. Yeah, he um I I don't know. The the scene I was just like um really? Yeah, okay. So she's offering for him to take her in her father's place. And I I'm I'm just thinking like I I know it's a Disney movie but like you couldn't work anything in there where she's trying to negotiate like something. She's just willing to like, okay, I love my father. I buy that. But really, I mean, you're going to allow yourself to stay there forever. Like, you know, I thought that was a little excessive. It never really came off as excessive to me as a kid. Like for me, that made sense. Mm -hmm. Like thinking of it from my tiny person perspective, it was, oh yeah, that's like a serious, he, he, the beast that's his castle that's his home he doesn't want anybody around he doesn't want anybody to see him because he is this hideous disfigured feature or whatever so yeah he's going to keep the people who have seen him as long as possible yeah because we see what happens when like gaston sees him they want to kill him yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was more of a, a reaction of fear for the beast rather than a a punishment per se yeah i just i don't know i guess for knowing so little about this movie i was just really surprised how how they really played up the beast's character how just mean and um just nasty his personality is i i was i was kind of i i guess i guess that's what they were going for because i was kind of scared i'm like just like this this guy i don't want to deal with and i'm just surprised that that she was just like yeah i you know, if you release my dad, I'll stay here forever. I was like, who'd want to stay with him forever? I, I mean, it, it really does say something to the sacrifice of Belle because she is giving up basically all of her chance to have an adventure, to go out into the world and, and see it the way that she, you know, expresses in the beginning. So it is a big deal for Belle uh, to do that. But at the same time, I really do see the beast's character his anger and it it all comes from fear and it's really just pushing that like selfless love that beast has yet to learn yeah 
Yeah. He doesn't mm. understand it, and he, and he's afraid. I really a lot of the beast is is the representation of of fear, just what fear can do to you, just the fear of being different, the fear of of doing something wrong, or, or even just having no parents. Like I, I really like to stress that the beast really. Who were the beast's parents? <laughs> who taught this child how to re- how to act in society? Because. You failed epically, people yes. of, of this undescript monarchy in France. <laughs> it, it, not only that, they're terrible parents for not hiring him the proper tutors to teach him how to read. Yeah, it's just a lax in parenting. This is that's what this movie is all about. It's yep, lax in parenting. <laughs> a lot of bad parents in yes. Disney movies for sure. Um, I I want to see like a fan edit um, when when she first arrives or some at some point like her very first visit to the castle is that she did see the library first before he actually gave it to her so maybe that's why she's like yeah I'll I'll stay here forever that's <laughs> totally cool with me I I saw that library I think it's bigger than the one in Game of Thrones uh, yes yeah it, it yeah. has to be <laughs> that you guys saw be that me. meme oh yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's pretty funny I. Didn't get it right off the bat until I saw this. I'm like, okay, it, it's a lot bigger than the picture for sure. Because, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's a picture that everybody saw. She's just on a ladder like in front of a bunch of shelves. But this is a massive library. I, I, I was literally thinking there possibly couldn't be that many books that were published by at that point. But I could be wrong. I, yeah, they're, they're really left you open on what the time period is in France. You know that yeah. it's it's... Somewhere pre electricity. <laughs> I would agree with so... that. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of uh, which, I, I want to jump right to this real quick. Lumiere, who is a candle, at one point towards the end, we see him kind of melting a little bit because, you know, flames. But he is lit, like not the slang lit, but he is lit the entire duration of the movie. Does he never like decrease in size or? Uh, I took that as. He controls the fire within. Yeah, that's like his body. Yeah. He okay, has control okay. over it like he's a mutant. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Can, Got it. Okay, he he's pyro. He candle wax. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like that. Okay, well, that makes more sense. Um, okay, so the beast, he gives her a room instead of staying in the tower. So I'm, I'm assuming Lumiere kind of convinced him to a little bit. Yes. Yeah, the, the servants really do have a lot of influence over... Over the beast, again, because of his lack of parenting. So he really, he has, they are his his guidance point of there. And they figured out how to kind of be like, hey. They're his conscience. Yeah, they're his conscience. I, I, yeah, I like that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jiminy Cricket. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the scene in the pub where we get the, you know, the Gaston song and all that, and he's bummed over Belle, you know, not reciprocating the, the you know, the, the feelings and what have you. But I wonder, what is the relationship between LeFou? Le, Le mm-hmm. LeFou, which means, like, idiot uh, in, in French. Yes. I like that. And, and Gaston, what is their relationship there? The Are they... Because Gaston, is he royalty? No. No. No, okay. So he's a regular guy, too. Yeah. So LeFou is just a buddy of his? He's like They're the just... lackey. Yeah. It's like okay. uh, the bully has to have the lackey, yeah. you know, someone to, like, look up. Yeah. Yeah, the the foolish idiot lackey friend who's willing to go along with whatever idiot scheme the bully comes up with. 
Yeah, he's also the the non-attractive one to make himself feel better. Yes. Yeah. Kind of deal too. I like LeFou, and you know what's funny is like watching that. I go, that'd be a great character for Josh Gad, who <laughs> yep. happens to be in the in the live version. So there we go. I was so. gonna be pissed if they didn't do that. That was my yeah. whole thing. I was just like, you've already got him under contract because of Frozen. You better do this, guys. If you fail this Disney, I will fail you. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I feel like that's like the consensus was like everybody's like um. Fan fantasy casting was Josh Gad for that character, and that's what it is. That's great on on Josh Josh Gad's contract though, because he'd be like, you know, everybody wants me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I I think that's that's great. So I, I can't wait to see it. I, I I definitely like him. He's super underrated at this point, which I I thought it was funny too, because there's that one point. Uh, LeFou was like hiding in a snowman. I was like, Olaf. So yeah. it's just like all these l- <laughs> little knew. little nuggets. Yeah. It's like, you know, kind of foreshadowing a little bit. It was like accidental subliminal messaging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If that's a thing, that's totally cool. I would like a, a listing of that in all movies. Um, okay. So no one believes that uh, Maurice, uh, well, Maurice comes to the pub and talks about the beast, but no one believes him uh, that uh, this beast has taken his daughter and um i get the feeling that he's had something like this happen like previously like something similar has happened over time crazy old maurice yeah yeah that makes sense from uh, what you said about the uh like the opening number how some of the townsfolk dropped like some nuggets of what they may think about you mm-hmm. know maurice but, but but this this scene also gives gaston the the idea to like okay we can use Maurice as a pawn for me to get Belle mm-hmm. and so um, I know we're not there yet but well, the the guy from the asylum does he have like a name or is he called anything else I I, I just wrote man from asylum Frollo <laughs> for, for, no. no he uh, the voice actor who uh, was that guy was also Count Frollo in uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, which is also another movie I didn't see. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I don't think I know. he has a name. He's he's I always called him Dark and Creepy Man. <laughs> okay. I like that one. It's kinda like the homeroom glasses man yeah. from from heroes. Um okay, I can was it Dark and Creepy Man? Dark I can go and with that. Man. He, he he looks like he's sick. Why did, why is his complexion that color? Is that just old age? It's just because he spent all his time in the insane asylum. Yeah. No oh, windows. Like the crazy is rubbed off. <laughs> <laughs> he needs more sun. Yes, he, he does. Get some vitamin, vitamin, vitamin e? D, C, and D? E. He's a film okay, editor. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you guys all look like then. Yeah. That's why we right. don't want to do video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, so Bell meets all of the the uh, talking furniture, the, the staff. Uh, and she doesn't want to go with dinner, probably for the obvious reason that she was just mistreated. I mean, I know she's his prisoner and stuff, but I like this, um, the way Beast is like, is, is, is playing, you know, he's just, it's like, it's, it's weird because of like how he kind of goes from zero to 60. Like when we first see him interact with her, he's this, but now that he wants to invite her to dinner or at least is being told to invite her to dinner, He's completely like changed, you know, like you never thought that I didn't think about this, that she could be the one and, and all this. I thought it was kind of a not not a quick a quick turn in a bad way, but I just thought it was very interesting. I really liked it because um, 
it really shows how how childish he is and he, he is basically a spoiled child throwing a tantrum in mm-hmm. that scene where he's like but but she it's her fault like she's the reason why i'm mad and it's like no you are not actually processing your feelings little little darling <laughs> uh, let's let's you know that's why i think i really like the the way that Lumiere kind of brings him down and Cogsworth kind of eases into to things because they've had this happen before where he's thrown these tantrums and they've just kind of realized how to manage the tantrums. Yeah. <laughs> because that, that that is very real to, to just children. Uh, I, I used to teach swim lessons and I've had so many kids throw tantrums like that. It's just like, oh my God, you are being a little beast right now. Like, <laughs> I really loved how the animators used even just his body language to kind of say he has never been taught how to interact with people or how to process emotions because you have at least for my opinion is you kind of have to like teach kids how to deal with anger and how how to process emotions instead of oh you have to be happy all the time or oh you can't be be sad or, or anything like that you have to don't throw these tantrums. You have to kind of process why they're throwing the tantrum so that you can teach them how to deal with it. Yeah, I really like that, that you pointing out that, um, you know, he's got a lot of like childish mannerisms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that montage where um, I'm not sure how soon it's coming up, but, it's you know, it's when they're actually eating. Yeah. And he's just like uh, he's eating like a child, you mm-hmm. know, like an animal child, I guess. But. You know, uh, it was very silly, like in a cute way. You know, I, I really liked that. So, yeah, I credit to the animators for really bringing that out in him. And it makes it so that kids can understand that really easy because kids can pick up on that mannerism because they've been around other children or, you know, mm-hmm. they've had a tantrum before. So they can connect with the beast on that level, which is really smart because then it makes it so that you can empathize with the with the beast right off the bat instead of being just scared of him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. <laughs> I am learning. I'm definitely learning. I mean, I, I want to hear you guys dissect some of those other Disney movies. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let's see. So uh, it's really weird. I keep using Adam in my notes, but uh, Beast is growing impatient. And I'm kind of curious because he knows that he is running out of time. Mm-hmm. Like... Do you have an explanation as to why that he hasn't been home trained at this point to be a gentleman? I mean, I know it's part of the story and, you know, childish. So, and and he's the master. Is there anything else? I just always thought that he was this prince who was always spoiled. His parents were not around and they used money and power to kind of keep him at an arm's length. Like they just shoved him to the nanny or whatever and the nanny is like the yes man kind of thing of yes yes little adam you can have this this apple you can have whatever you want oh you can have that candy you can you can do that so he never really learned boundaries he never really learned you know how to process his emotions outside of throwing a tantrum that's how he got what he wanted Mm, okay this is the point where you know he looks into the mirror and sees that um she doesn't want to have anything to do with him and he's convinced that she'll only view him as the monster mm-hmm. and this entire time it, it it took me out just a little bit because i'm like 
he's completely invading her privacy. I mean, he might as well have a, like a peephole, mm-hmm. you know, like into her room. Um, what do you guys think about this device of the uh, the mirror? I know it comes into play later on, which which helps, but just just in general, this this mirror because I didn't know this was a thing in the movie. It's definitely used as a little like MacGuffin thing to later on show Gaston. It's just like, why did the witch give him a magic mirror? Do you think it was a way to show him how distant he was, or just as a visual representation Mm. of how distant he was from people and how that's how he views the world, like, like viewing the world through a TV. Yeah, and it's also, it is a mirror, and so he could see himself. Yeah. And like he says, like, I'm only a monster. The more, like, monstrous or the more animalistic he becomes as the years you know wear on it 20 years of him mm-hmm. being an animal he's going to act more animalistic and he just sees himself as the animal yeah i like that yeah i like that a lot um it uh it's so this is a Chekhov's mirror <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah introduce it now so he can come back in the third act yes so, <laughs> all right Okay, so yeah, because yeah, I, I, I knew obviously it had to be introduced, but uh, I just wanted to hear some other thoughts on this mirror, which yeah, it, it actually plays a big part in the story. I just never knew it to be a thing. Like, uh, also watching this movie, I was trying to trying to remember if I even recall, aside from the characters, if anything else were like made into toys. Do you? Oh, can you guys I had think all the anything? toys. The mirror what, what was some... definitely made into a toy. Um, they okay, had... see, I don't remember that. They had a whole, um, I had, it was a table that you could turn and it would play the theme song, like a little, like you'd wind the top yeah. of the table and it would spin and play this in the theme song. And it had all the place settings for the cups and dishes and spoons mm-hmm. um, and Mrs. Potts. It was like Mrs. Potts, like magic table. And it came with chairs so you can sit the, the dolls. I had all the Disney dolls. You can sit <laughs> them down at the table and they can dine together. <laughs> I remember having the mirror and there was, oh, there was something, I think there was something to do with the rose, but I can't remember what it was. The mirror, it had. Oh, wouldn't it like, it push a button and it'd be like. Yeah, it would light up and then it would do stuff, but then like you could also go in and like add a character that would show up on the mirror or something like that. Like there was one with the beast and then there was one with Belle. And then there was more. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there was there was some really cool stuff. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't like today's toys where it would probably be way cooler than that. That little like hologram, like fake hologram, see through character showing up on a mirror. <laughs> but yeah, you could like look in it and kind of play with it. And that I, I wish I remembered what that rose thing was because it was. Oh yeah. There was something like you would turn the top of the rose and like it would do something it wasn't like a it wouldn't play music i would remember i think it had like those built-in like led lights kind of thing that would just like kind of sparkle yeah or it was it wasn't i don't think it was led lights at the time but it it had glitter on it and stuff oh interesting this is like fascinating too when (laughs) i think about like toys back from the day you know just to see like how they even try to make things because like um I mean, even now, I walk through, like, the um, the uh, the girls' toys, you know. I mean, I, I have a daughter. I mean, she's probably too old for toys now. <laughs> but e- even as a kid, I was, you know, I walked through the, the, the girls' sections just to see what they have and, and what the boys don't have, you know, and vice versa. 
But um, maybe it's just because I wasn't familiar familiar with the movie, and that's why it, it never really stuck out to me. Like I probably could have had seen that mirror toy and just not thought anything of it. There was a ton. This was this was when the whole Disney making toys <laughs> off of their movies oh, yeah. was huge. Like this is the whole reason that Robin Williams didn't come back and do Aladdin two because they made a toy without his permission. He didn't want his voice used. They made it, they sold it, and he's like, fuck you guys. It was very important that the Bell doll had the two change of dresses. Yes. Her blue dress and her gold dress. It had to. If it if it didn't, you would have like one very upset tiny little child <laughs> in me. I feel like for Halloween, it's usually the yellow dress that I yes. see her in. Yeah. But I think she's more iconic with the, the Dorothy look, uh, which she was based on from what I read. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the but the Barbie had to have both dresses because if it didn't, then she wasn't really Belle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, back to the mirror real quick. I think it'd be, I I haven't checked, but it'd be really cool if it was an app. You know, maybe cooler for the iPad or something like that. You know, something bigger than the actual phone. You know, that can resemble a mirror, and you know, maybe it'd be like a game slash app where you can see the, the characters using the mirror or something. I don't know. Uh, you have to find cool. you have to find the character with the mm. mirror kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, you could yeah. do Maybe like, like a, a Pokemon thing. Yeah, like a Pokemon yeah. thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> throw a ball like you know you can interact with it now. <laughs> throw a ball at one of the characters. There's Gaston. Throw something at him. <laughs> Push him off that building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Um so Bill wanders off uh, because she's hungry. You know, she uh, refused lunch earlier or dinner. And we got the 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 great iconic be our guest uh, oh, song yes. slash scene. Now I'm a big fan of the song. You know I've um, you know we visit just like any other family. We visit uh, Disneyland. You know every few years, and uh, that's that song I associate more so visiting Disneyland than I do with this movie for the obvious reasons. And I feel like this scene was kind of like a. I mean, I'm sure this is where they got it, but never had a friend like me. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is mm. very the big, big parallel each number. other. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's what this was for me uh, watching this. Um, I like how Cogsworth he gives her a, a tour shortly after here, and she wants to check out the West Wing. And uh, again, I know it's a kid movie, but I'm like, well, Beast, if you hadn't mentioned it earlier, <laughs> you know that she she can do whatever she wants. Just don't go to the West Wing. It's like. You told anybody that that's the first thing they're going to want to do. And I'm surprised that that wasn't the first thing she wanted to do until she's like, what's up there? Well, especially because she's so she has just such a curious nature. Yeah. Like she almost wants an adventure so much that she is willing to go with like reckless abandon. Wow, Belle. (laughs) I mean, she talked about it in the in the very opening number, how she likes like these fantasy type type movies right yeah. so i think that's what drew her into to wanting i i feel like i probably would too i mean it's a pretty massive place and you don't get the sense of like really any terror i guess until you actually walked into the room that she walks into you know because everything else is just so well kept and maintained you know mm-hmm. so i probably would have done the same thing but we get to this room and my god everything's like trashed and torn to pieces and i'm thinking Belle, if you marry this guy, he could be an abusive husband. I mean, look at this room. Like, he has a temper. He has the bedroom of a teenage boy. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, you should see my brother's room. It is is like... (laughs) Looks just like that. Yes, it it does. It really does. 
He he mirrored his room after the scene. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> his hair was definitely inspired by the piece. <laughs> um, but yeah, the she she finds the rose, which I thought this was great, and you know I want to credit IMDb, I guess, for for pointing this out. But she almost puts together the portrait of of uh, mm-hmm. Prince mm-hmm. Adam. You know, and then the rose kind of lights up, which distracts her from it. So she doesn't really get to know the true identity of him. And so I thought that was a nice touch, too. And I, I feel like for kids, it just would have went over your head. So I feel for somebody a little bit older, you know, that's something that they uh, they can appreciate. Like, oh, hey, you know, like because she's supposed to love him for who he is, not for what he is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I really dug that. You guys have any thoughts on this scene? No, yeah, I read that same trivia fact on IMDb, and I that I also didn't realize that as a child. No, not as a child. Like later on, as an adult, and of course, with being in the musical kind of thing, you kind of have the script, uh, so you can kind of interpret some of these things a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I I always really liked the fact that she finds this thing and he gets so angry and she kind of has this response back of she's afraid but at the same time she's she's still curious like she still wants to know because that's why she comes back i think that gives her a whole willing of willingness of coming back because she is still curious about what is actually going on in this castle like this is her adventure in the play, how did they? How did the scene play out? Was was there something like it where where she almost finds like a portrait of him? She, um, yeah, she snoops through his bedroom basically, like a teenage girl would <laughs> through a young man's <laughs> Facebook profile. Um, and you know, she tries to get to know him. Like that's the whole point of her going to the West Wing is she wants to know. She wants to know the mystery. She wants to figure it out. She wants to be the Angela Lansbury of the movie, if you will. Yeah, Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's what drives her to the scene, or to to kind of go against what he has specifically told her not to do. Um, because she's very curious about this, this, I guess, beast, this man, this creature. Beast man. This beast man. This <laughs> beast man? half goat, half wolf, half bear, whatever. Half panther, have you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So it, it's it's definitely an interesting kind of play on curiosity and how it can kind of how human curiosity you know works within the bounds of of this. It's interesting because this movie is not really about Belle. A lot. No, I co- I always thought it was about Belle, and then I watched it for this, and I'm like, this is a beast movie. Yeah, this is definitely this is a, a interesting play on what masculinity is in society and how we view uh, it. Um, Belle is just like the the audience observer of everything, so she's and- she's your connection point, and then you you go from there. It is also interesting that the the writer she you know wanted to make Belle like you know a lot more intelligent as compared to like the the previous uh, Disney princesses and and you you know you're right you 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 pointed out that that this is a beast movie like I I kind of knew that without knowing that you know um, same thing watching this is just like well it's it's about beast and what happened to him ultimately finding a true love that can change him and his staff back. 
it does change her too. It, it, yeah. it definitely the the movie I think doesn't really have enough of her change though, but she finds a sense of satisfaction. She finds the fact that once once her and the beast kind of get over this this I guess tension or icebreaker kind of moment, which is uh, running off into the woods and him saving her from the wolves, um, they have this nice understanding of one another and it's the first time that she has ever been understood and that Mm. changes her from a perspective of she is allowing herself to kind of open up and that's kind of why i don't like the whole argument that this is a movie about stockholm syndrome because it, it really he's not really like forcibly trying to say oh you have to love me you have to love me you have to love me he's saying i want you to love me I want you to, to, you know, I want you to want me, but <laughs> it, it's not, it, it never comes off as the Stockholm syndrome thing of I'm going to keep you here so that you will love me kind of thing, or, or that you will eventually fall in love with me because I am your captor. It's the discovering the humanity in each other. Yeah, they definitely, Belle discovers, you know, she has an outlet for her curiosity and he discovers how to understand his emotions and she helps him through that which i think gives her a sense of validation just on an intelligence level that she can influence somebody that she she can be heard um it does she does have a voice when she is with him um which i don't think she she does when she's in the town because gaston always constantly is trying to silence her yeah 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 you're right the um you know in speaking on him understanding her this i knew a library scene was coming and then we get that here <laughs> mm-hmm. yep and when we get it like again i knew it was coming it still hit me i'm like beast you 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 beast you that is so <laughs> sweet like it, it it still got me you know um and the look on his face yeah. you know to see how um how she felt you know that made him warm inside he was just his face just lit up um, just to see how surprised she was. I just, I loved it. It was a great scene. Yeah. And I think the grand size of the library, too, added to it. You know, it's just a, a great gesture on his part. He he should have just taken her there first. Yeah. But again, <laughs> that, that fan edit, I want to see, you know, she sees that library first. So. Yeah, she definitely, I like that they saved the library for this moment. Because it's actually him actively deciding to do something nice or for someone else for a change. Like you definitely see the change in his body language. Like you said, you see the change in his, his facial expressions. And that's, again, that's all credit to the animators. Like Mm -hmm, it just, mm -hmm. there's so Mm -hmm. much work that goes into animation that uh, you wouldn't really realize like people, they studied lions for this. They studied bears. They studied like how things move and, animators actually stand in front of mirrors and and try to emulate the emotions that they're they're portraying so they become the actors themselves sometimes i've seen that yeah i've seen that in the i want to say like the behind the feature or behind the (laughs) behind the scenes features uh that's what i that's what i love about like when dvds came out they started re-releasing things with these added stuff you know i i want to um I want to say Aladdin was probably the first animated like behind the scenes features that I've actually watched because I remember vividly like the one of the animators just talking about how um, I think the uh, at least I think it was one of the animators talked about 
how he used like his sister, I think, as an inspiration for Jasmine. Mm-hmm. And um, they showed him like you know, there's a mirror next to his pad, and he's like, uh, you know, um, emulating his, you know, the, like the lips and what they look like when he's saying certain words, and that's how he drew. So, yeah, a, a lot of work does go into into that, and I'm just. Um, I wish I could draw because I, I think that's just fascinating stuff. Well, and to get so much characterization out of this big hulking thing, like you wouldn't think that you would have a lot of room to work with with expressions and, and, and that kind of stuff, but it really does show through a lot just just from the the way that they, they decided to do the movement. So And if you think about it, you know, he's a beast. He has, like, a hairy face. You know, he doesn't have, like, the creases of human skin, mm-hmm. you know, that can show, like, certain expressions. So he's very expressive in the library scene. Is I think that's why, like, I appreciate it. Like, you can you see his face and immediately know how he's feeling at that, at that time. It's definitely the reaction of a kid giving, like, his mom this really great present for the first time and, and that that feeling of... Oh look, look my mom is so happy and I did that. <laughs> like it's that yeah. validation of I did something good for someone else. And, yeah. And that's what that's what the beast has been missing all this time is he doesn't understand the the I guess the self benefits of giving to someone else or being, you know, being open to be connected to somebody else on emotion on an emotional level. Yeah. Um this montage we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but I put down he has no table manners. <laughs> the The man is a prince. Like that's that's. I know we talk about bad parenting in this movie, <laughs> but how does he not have table? Okay, okay, I got it. I, I it just occurred to me. You guys mentioned that over the years he becomes more animalistic. Mm-hmm. Is 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 that where we're going with this? Yeah, that's, the animals why, yeah. have taken over. He stops caring. Okay. He he legitimately stops caring about his self-care. Like okay. he he is so hateful of himself that everything that even his eating habits become it's like somebody who hates the way that they look so they start to overeat or they eat fast food all the time because they feel horrible about themselves. It, it it plays into that whole psychological kind of aspect of, of who the beast is and what being a beast is. Like, on a human level, being a beast is someone who doesn't take care of themselves and doesn't try to interact or empathize with others, I think is is the main goal that they're trying to, to show with his character. Is It's the two different sides of, of what it means to be a beast in in the terms of masculinity like gaston may have the looks that the beast wants back but he is still a beast himself because of how he treats people and that's the 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 way that the uh, the beast before he was changed when he was a prince treated others mm-hmm. and so it's it's their their mirrors of one another you see how it started with gaston a magic mirror a magic mirror there you go <laughs> So. No, no mirror in the Disney world is not magic. <laughs> true. So Very true. They're all magic. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. This, you know what? I, I got to say, I mean, I, I know we're not even at the end, but I, I, I just appreciate you guys coming on to really, you know, you guys are really experts on on this movie because this movie is a lot, a lot deeper than, than, you know, 
people give it credit for because I've never I, I always known this to be a lot of people's like top you know top three a lot of people's number one Disney animated movie but no one ever says like how deep this movie really is you know like I always feel like it was just the love story between the two you know you never judge a book by its cover and all these things but when I watched it I go and this is spoiling my you know thoughts of the, the movie at the end a little bit here but I, I was just like that's I had a lot of fun it's a very good movie but I did wonder why was it nominated for best picture you know so I think like you guys are really like peeling out uh I'm trying to think of the expression here but like peeling back the layers of the <laughs> onion or something I don't know it you, you know what I'm gonna yeah, to say onion right? has like, a lot of it yeah. a lot of layers yes <laughs> yeah so I think that's where this movie was nominated right that mm -hmm. it's it's a lot deeper than people actually give it credit for oh, there's so. so much emotion behind this movie I mean I talked about yeah. I talked about Howard Ashman in the beginning but mm -hmm. he poured everything that he had into this movie I mean his story is just so tragic and that the the song that's coming up he wrote because his community was dealing with you know people beating uh, like killing them because of who they are on the inside mm -hmm. you know even what they reflect on the outside so he really poured everything that he could into the music and the animators took that story and just ran with it and added all of these other complexities and layers and psychological kind of things you know it's it's definitely a movie that as an adult you can see so many things in like as a child you see the fun and you see the 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 character you see that the household items coming to life and you see this um this nice beautiful love story of being who you are and being true to yourself and always being curious and having an adventure is you know it's not a, it doesn't always hits you right in the face that it's an adventure but it's there as you just have to look um there's a lot of but there's a lot of great messages just for for kids like older kids that can pick up on you know expression wise or, or psychology and understanding you know that tantrum isn't going to get you what you think it is or you know it's better to be like the beast towards the end and being selfless and it'll get you I guess not necessarily further in life, but it'll make you feel more satisfied with life and that it's okay to talk about your feelings and your emotions and, and all that stuff. And I think that's a really great message for, for, for our generation when this movie came out and for, for little boys um, just because this movie is, is so depth or has so much depth about just a conversation about how society views masculinity. I don't think a lot of movies do that. Uh, enough for boys um because it is it's hard for boys and it's hard for girls girls have a different set of hardness to it to so how society views them but boys have it too and i think we need to acknowledge that sometimes as as people <laughs> yeah no that's really deep stuff really really deep i but but i am enjoying it if it, you know if it doesn't sound like it it's just just very fascinating material um Gosh, I, you know, for its 25th anniversary, I really do hope that they, like, re-release it in the movie theaters, you know, for those families that do enjoy, like, the um, the movie-going experience to introduce it to a newer generation, you know, who otherwise may may not watch this, like, on their own. Because uh, I do feel, like, society, they can, um, they do judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. And hoping that the kids can go watch this 
and and understand to not. Well, I think with the new Disney like rebranding, it is you know rebranded as a princess movie. Yes, it is, and it's not. It it, it really it stands. I think this is why it was you know nominated because it stands on it it on a different leg of emotion. It. it it brings in yes it has the general love story but it brings in so many other aspects to what it is to be human that it, it makes it so universally connected because boys can connect with it girls can connect with it and and they can understand you know that whole aspect of of humanity and i think giving giving kids more opportunity to explore humanity is what what at least what i want people to, at least what I want to do when I have kids. I want my kids to understand, you know, the humanity, you affect humanity and that you don't, you don't want to show or, or be so selfish that it is, it is okay to be selfish sometimes, but not all the time. And you should, uh, you should go towards, you know, loving yourself, but also loving others. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's an interesting thing and it's an interesting discussion just from like a mental mental health standpoint of how stigmatized mental health can be and how, you know, that's a representation that the beast portrays as well is he does not love himself. He is the chief representation of what depression can do to someone and how angry it can make someone and ostracizing them from society is not what you want to do. <laughs> Yeah, gosh, yeah, this, I mean, it would also be uh, a great, like, um, uh, what, what is that, character study, mm-hmm. you know, just to even write something or, um, you know, do like a project in school for, you know, this just be like a great opportunity for anything like that, yeah. you know, kind of like how um, with Lion King, when I was in school or in, in high school, I wrote that um, I wrote a, a paper on well, basically comparing Lion King and Hamlet, which um, I think I, later on I found out that it, it was inspired by that. Yes. I was just like, huh. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm maybe in, I'm not the only one that I thought it was smart. You did so it. It was it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Um, yeah, it's these movies. Uh, that's why I like doing the show and going back and watching the movies that we grew up watching. You know, and some people just like, oh, he just watches kids movies well this is a kids movie but it is a deep family kids movie you know yeah. and so it, it's always nice finding it gives parents an opportunity to open the conversation up to their kids like it gives a jumping yeah. off point and that's what i think great family movies do is it brings certain things that may be happening in the family dynamic to light and you can say okay so that tantrum that you threw in the store the other day where you threw all those Cheerios at me, this is what you were being <laughs> kind of thing. Do you want to be that way? Do you want to be like Gaston? Do you, I think it presents it in such a easy way for kids to understand, you know, these very complex issues. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, the, um, the, the kid throwing Cheerios. What what parent would allow their kid to get that far as opening a box of Cheerios? Well, I mean, like throwing the box at the parent. Oh, okay, okay. The box of Cheerios. Got it. I was thinking, like, <laughs> just flicking little Cheerios <laughs> at, at the parents. No, that'd be a funny image right there. Yes. Um. So they dine and dance to Being the Beast. I think that's the the, the number that uh, you were referring to. That um. 
the, 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 the song here. No, you're talking about the um, mob song. I'm talking about the mob song. Uh, the, oh, okay, the mob yeah. song. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Okay, that, that makes more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Uh, is a little bit later, it, too. Yeah, the mob song happens way after Beauty and the Beast. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I do need to go back and, um, you know, just after talking to you guys, I, I need to go back and listen to the lyrics of these songs, too. Because I was more focusing on the happenings, mm-hmm. you know, in these scenes. And I think that's one of the things that... Um, you know, with musicals, like you, you really got to give it more than just one shot because first, you know, I think most people, they kind of watch what happens. And then the second time you watch a movie or a musical, you need to really focus in on the lyrics. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? So so I didn't get a chance to do that. And after uh, what you're saying, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting the the uh, the songwriter's name that passed away. Howard Ashman. Yeah, just because if he is using like personal experiences into these lyrics, I, I definitely need to hear them. Uh, you know, this time around. Um, I thought it was. Um, oh, okay. No, we're, we're getting the scene where uh, we we see the rose or the rose, and they're running out of time because the last petal is going to be falling very soon. At this point, I don't know if they mentioned it was like in the next twelve or thirteen hours. But this is where we got the Human Again song. And again, this is where I felt like, oh, this feels a little off. And I just couldn't, it just didn't feel like the other songs. And, and even the the scene itself, it didn't, it just didn't seem right to me. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on this scene? Well, this one was written specifically for the Broadway uh, play. It was, okay. it was not in the original, uh, I don't think... I don't think Howard Ashman wrote this one. I can't remember. I thought, he off did. The top. I thought we saw in the credits that he did. I'm I not have, sure. I think he may have started it. Because there were a lot of songs that he started mm-hmm. um, that he didn't he didn't finish because they didn't go th- they didn't put them in. So I think I don't remember. I'd have to look. I remember when I saw it in the re-release in 2000 i was like this is not the same animation style or oh it's (laughs) definitely lumiere has like weird placements of uh like what's supposed to be sheen yeah on him he looks completely different (laughs) than the original animation style okay yeah it's Maybe that's what it is. I'll I'll have to watch it again. But something just it just didn't look right. And um, you know the version I again I watched the special edition and it was HD. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So you guys are saying like the animation had to do had a little something to do with it. Yeah, it definitely looks different um, than. I think this was around the time that they were doing the like Beauty and the Beast TV show or something. They had no, like a thirty minute. Was... Which one? <laughs> there was like a thirty-minute show of like Bell and Beast stories, and because it, it has a similar animation style to that. Oh, like when they did like the Aladdin TV yeah, show. Yeah, because oh. they had the Little Mermaid. Because I used to watch the Little Mermaid one even into my teens. Because that's how much I love Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one day I will be a mermaid. Um, I'm in line for that, <laughs> especially after Aquaman comes out. Oh, oh. yes. <laughs> There's going to be a Splash remake where Chan- uh, Channing Tatum is going to be the mermaid, and I'm so <laughs> <Yeah>. excited. <laughs> oh, are you? Okay. Yes. Well, you know, is it because of Channing Tatum? A little bit, but mostly because I love Splash. Okay. I, I really enjoy Splash, too. But 
Okay, we'll 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 move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I could just, talk about mermaids uh, all day. We should not. Oh do no, that. that's fine. No, I'm just I was just picturing Channing Tatum as a mermaid. Doll. <laughs> that, that was my thing. Okay. For for human again. Here, let's go back to human again. Um, I pulled it up on Wikipedia, and it does say that Howard Ashman did write the original lyrics, but it was revised uh, with Tim Rice, who was uh, Alan Menken's new writing partner for the 1994 stage play. So the one that appears in the movie is the revised version. So Howard Ashman gets credit, but they revised it. Oh, yeah. You said Tim Rice? Yeah. I think he also worked on Aladdin. Yes, he did. That yeah. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. He took over for Howard Ashman when he had to go into the hospital. Yeah, and Lion King. And Lion King. He's done oh, okay. so much. He did Aida on Broadway. Yep. Mm, I okay. love Aida. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Uh, that was like, I had, uh, sorry, we go on tangents. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no problem. I enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> um,. My finest suit. I used to because I was a swimmer, mm-hmm. and there's a song about her wearing her uh, her finest clothing or whatever to this. I think it's a party. Yeah. And so she has the song about her finest suit. I used to have that on my playlist before I would swim. Because oh, it's okay. so it's jazzy and peppy, and it's like okay. Anyway, tangent over. <laughs> okay, and, and that's just a play that was on Broadway. Yes. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Uh, not something that's been adapted to film yet. No, I'd love to see no, it. Oh, okay. What? I would love to see it as a film. Oh, yeah. That'd be aw- it's It's about Egypt. Yeah. It's about okay. Egypt oh. and slavery. And slavery, <laughs> yes. I didn't want to say that, yeah. but yeah, that's what it's about. And it's a Disney I, musical. Yeah. <laughs> I don't make it to a lot of, of plays, but I, I, I really want to see a lot. I mean, um, I want to see Wicked. I want to see Lion King. Uh, and they all come here to Portland, but I, uh, yeah, I just never get a chance to make it to them, unfortunately. I think also because I usually can't find somebody that wants to go with me. Yeah. <laughs> that that could be it. I mean, I'm also the same guy who watched Titanic in 3D by myself, Aww. you know, so. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, people kind of love or hate that movie. That and true. I was just like, hey, it's a 100th anniversary of when it sank. This is kind of cool. And, you know, I like the movie, too. I really, I'm a, I'm a fan of the movie. So mm-hmm. um, so I think that's kind of the same thing with these plays. Like, uh, people are just like, you want to go watch a play? Like, yeah, I do. I mean, they won Tonys and stuff. So, I mean, it's got to be good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and Lion King. I mean, come on. Like, if you don't know Wicked, that's one thing. But, like, everyone knows Lion King. And I know Wicked's more of a newer story because it's the take on the the witch's point of view. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So I like this little real brief uh, scene, but they read Romeo and Juliet. And and I touched it on earlier, but the man can't read. Or at least he says not very well. Yeah, that's in the additional scene. Like, we didn't know that in the original theatrical release. Okay, well, there we go. So, so I, I saw something new, didn't realize it. Um, so, what, what do you think? Was that a, a, a nice, nice ad or no? Uh, what do you think? I've always really liked this, this little bit. Just because it's sweet. It is, it is, mm-hmm. You see a moment of sweetness between the two of them. Before the big ball. I mean, you do see... What is something there? Um, that was before he's getting manners. They have their little falling in love song. Yeah. 
So you have just this nice little moment. It's really quick, and it's just her sharing Romeo and Juliet with him. It's the first time he's probably ever heard it. And it's something that she has probably read over and over and over again. So it's a moment of her sharing and opening up her world to him. It, um, I really liked it because it kind of reminded me of the scene in Dumb and Dumber <laughs> where Lloyd is trying to read. He's like, to hit the, the, the. So he was trying to read two and he says like 12 or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I thought it was really cute. So that, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that was uh, added for just very little. Well, too. and it's him kind of realizing the importance of, uh, I guess, not necessarily intelligence, but the important importance of opening up your world to other perspectives, to, to being open to different stories and other people's experiences. So he probably never had any stock in, in reading books or he probably fell out of practice from reading because he didn't think he was very good at it. And he didn't think it was important because again, he was probably a very vain Gaston type of person who also doesn't take any stock into um, thinking as he refers to in the song, how thinking is a dangerous pastime. Mm -hmm. So it's again, paralleling, Gaston on a just a weird level and and adding a cute scene of them sharing their worlds together. Yeah, and I, I think it's a, a great comparison to Romeo and Juliet too, coming from, you know, um two different worlds, you know, I I guess. And, you know, Bees just being different and uh learning to have to overcome that difference to to love someone kind of like in Romeo and Juliet I guess in the Broadway and they have a balcony scene too in the Broadway play they used um King Arthur for that moment yeah okay uh which is a hmm. it was the connection between Arthur overcoming his his the fact that he was this poor little stable boy kind of thing and he was able to achieve greatness by by connecting his kingdom together. Yeah, I always thought Romeo and Juliet was just a little, little too spot on the nose for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I wasn't sure if I knew Angela Lansbury sung the version in in the song or the song in the movie. And I guess uh, I read that the director is like, you know, he just asked her to sing it one time, which she uh, originally turned down. And he's just like, hey, can you just sing it so that way we have a backup in case? And they ended up using it anyway. Yeah, and she recently just sang it again. Uh, they were oh, they were she? doing a, uh, was it 25th anniversary yeah, special? It was, it was probably a screening at the El, El Capitan. Capitan. Yeah. That's uh, the Disney theater in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. And uh, she came on stage and at 90 years old... Saying Beauty and the Beast. And we all cried. And we all cried. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Is, is that something on YouTube? You yes. Think? Yes. That's how we saw okay. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll definitely check that out. And I'll, uh, for the listeners that are interested, I'll include that into the show notes. Um, the, he, he, the Beast, that is, uh, he asks her, are you happy here with me? And the first thing I thought was, how long has she been there? Well, I think that's also positive, the extra scenes added, so it does add a little more passage of time. Yeah, um, okay. I think the, the the guesstimate of the internet was that she had been there for at least five months. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Wow, that's yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, that because of makes where the a lot of these a little bit more believable. Where the rose was when she gets there to where it is at this point. Does that mean Maurice okay, that was sense, out yeah. in the winter for like forever? That I don't know. <laughs> that was just the guesstimate that I had on the internet, but she'd been there for a while. Maybe was, it's just hmm. people not like wanting her to fall in love with him so quickly. I like she was there two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's somewhere between two and five months. I would like to hear like anybody else's uh, theories and thoughts. If anyone wants to tweet at us and let us know, um, yeah, that's that's really interesting uh, because you know at this point she's really clearly missing her father. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, "Hey, check out this mirror so you can check up on him." And she misses him so much that you know Beast is like clearly has a, a change of heart at this point. He's you know, falling in love, and he releases her as a prisoner so she can go save him. And gives her the mirror as well, uh, because plot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I liked about this was we've been seeing, like, the the staff members and some of their thoughts of uh, about all of this, how important it was for them. Uh, well, also for Beast, but important for them that they, they want to be human again. And so for Beast to make this decision, it must have been very, very difficult to make because he's risking everyone staying as household items, you know, for the rest of their lives. Yes. So, so she, she, uh, so, well, my, my question, I guess, is, um, I, I did think about this during the movie. How come he doesn't want to go help her save him or rescue him in the winter or out in the cold, I guess? Well, I think it was, she was going to go and take him home, but he doesn't want to go into town okay he's still afraid he's still he doesn't want anybody to see what he looks like now he doesn't he still does not although he is connected with this person and he is he's slowly starting to change it is still that whole concept of oh now a group of people will see me oh no like what what is their reaction gonna be i can deal with one person one-on-one but i can't deal with that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? What? Yeah, he's trying to minimize his exposure. Yes, that's the word. Yeah, for. yeah. Being integrated back into society, yes. you know, he just clearly wasn't ready yet. Um, okay, it's just a a great contrast, you know, in characters between Gaston and 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 Beast at this moment because, you know, he is falling in love and is doing all the right things, and then. Gaston has this part where he like uh you know has that oh, oh gosh dark and creepy, creepy dark and old creepy man. man dark and creepy man has him come like to pick up Maurice and take him to asylum so and he's like well I'll help you get him out of this if you marry mm-hmm. me like you kidding me like yeah it's just a such a big difference in, in the two characters here um now Maybe you can answer this for me. What was the bag that Chip stowed in? Stowed? Yeah. Snuck yeah, in. He... What was the bag? Like that was like a saddle bag, or maybe was it Marisa's bag? Oh, I thought it was Belle's because she had to have something to carry the mirror in. Right. Okay. So okay. So magic, magic, magic. Bag that Chip continuity yes. bag. Got it. Continuity okay. bag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> continuity the bag. Because I thought I missed something. Because I, I was like. Oh. How did Chip get into that bag? Whose bag was it? So, okay. So plot, right? Hashtag plot. (laughs) And speaking of the mirror, uh, she shows everyone uh, the beast, which at first they were like, oh, ha, ha, we don't believe you, right? Yeah. But 
like for me, I felt that maybe like if I were the townsfolk, I would have been like, "That's an invention he made." That I don't believe in that beast because they were just like, <gasps> they they just saw it and immediately just believed it. Like, oh, let's get our pitchforks and let's go after this beast. I just thought that was a little too convenient for me. But I guess that's a like a, the, the whole grown up take and have, having not seen this at first. Um, clearly, you know, watching this uh, when you were younger, you buy you buy into that. Well, it also kind of plays into how society kind of witch hunts people mm. where you don't have all the full picture of the information. You just have one little snippet of what you see. Like there was, oh, yeah. there was really no reason for, for them to believe that it was an invention because he would have shown them that in the beginning, like long before, okay. before now I, w- I would assume that that's how it would work. But yeah, it's, it's more of society not being able to see the, the full picture of everything and automatically jumping to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Kind of like every day on Twitter yes, with celebrities. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good gosh. Yeah. So little has changed, huh? Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so uh, Gaston rounds up the townsfolk and they, they go after Beast and we have a big battle, which I hope translate very well in this new live adaptation because I really like this. This I call it a battle, but it, it, it really is. But I wonder how epic it'll be on screen uh, in the live live action. Um, the scene where at the end here with, with Gaston up on the rooftop and I felt, okay, wh- why does Beast seem to give up a little too easily? Because he doesn't fight Gaston back. Uh, is it because he thinks that he has lost Belle at this point? Yeah, he's super depressed. Yeah. Hmm, okay. I didn't, I didn't get that. Like, uh, like, I figure that's what it is, but... I I I'm I'm trying to think what made him think that just be, because the last time he saw her she was going back to take her dad back home. Well, he released her. He thought that she right. was possibly only staying there because of the obligation. Right. So now that okay. now that she is completely released, she can go off and find a non-beast man. She can go <laughs> like, back to her life. <laughs> yeah, back to her life and so he has basically given up all hope of ever breaking the curse. He is deeply depressed. It's not necessarily just about Belle or or anything. It was more of she's gone now. I've I've released her obligation so she has no reason to stay with me. It's again that nut, his lack of understanding on how emotions work and he probably didn't believe that she was really going to love him because he didn't love himself. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. See, I completely missed that. That makes a lot of sense. I I think this is just an, another one of those um, examples that I'm saying, like, you know, for I don't know. I mean, this this movie is paced very well, mm-hmm. but I know it's also an animated movie, and usually they don't run long. But for someone who's not as as you know, not as bright as me, is that right? I'm not bright. <laughs> so for 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 someone like me, I I, I that, that could have helped me out, you know, a, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't pick up on these these clues. I think I still watch them like as if I'm a kid or something. I don't know, but yeah, so some some of these things I don't I don't pick up. So like I think that could have benefited me, and and you know just um, I don't know. I, I I can't think of anything else. But this is definitely one of those examples where I'm like, I didn't read it that way, and something could have been added that could have helped. Yeah, me with it's that. it's definitely very visual. Um, it's not really told 
Yeah. Throughout dialogue, you're supposed to interpret it. I mean, and this is back yeah. in the day. We saw this in the theater like four or five times when it came out when yeah. I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, you saw it over and over and over again. And I think it also, if you never really had an experience with depression, you don't necessarily always know what it looks like because depression looks different for every person. Yeah. And so it's it's hard it's hard to convey what he's thinking in such a quick pace of time but it's it's there it is yeah it's definitely i think a product of multiple viewing on on my account uh, and i guess justine's account too yeah no i i should have um i mean because i typically don't but this is definitely one that that would have benefited me as a you know a host of, of a podcast mm-hmm. to have seen this you know multiple viewings to pick up on these. But that's why I invite guests to come on because it's a different insight, it's a different perspective from somebody else that you know can teach me uh, some things. So that's that's why I also have people pick the movies that they want to talk about on my show. So. Um, yeah, that's what we that's what we do on our podcast is when whenever Ashley and I have both seen the movie, we bring on a guest who hasn't seen it. Yeah, we like oh, we like we the first time reaction. So this is very new. This is very similar to us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's why I kind of want I didn't want to reveal that right off the bat when you guys chose it. Mm-hmm. I go ah, you know, a movie <laughs> I have not seen. So I, I definitely, I it's it's been hard for me to hold it because like I I like those moments like what you haven't seen yeah. you know i like those yeah. and I, I wanted to capture that here like <laughs> yeah i this is one i have not seen no shame um, no no shame yeah. at all yeah uh you know there's i look i i've met people who have never seen back to the future that's my age <laughs> you know like well the, the movie was for us when we grew up how did you miss this mm-hmm. you know so i've i met people like that um well you never know the circumstances either i mean like my my husband has not seen a lot of movies, but that's because his parents are deaf. So back then, mm. you had to wait for a very specific time at a very specific theater to go see a movie. So he didn't get to see a lot of movies. So there's times where I'm like talking about a movie, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, what? Why? We have to watch this. <laughs> like I think the biggest one was uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I was just like, <laughs> why have you not seen this movie? This is right up your alley. What? Yes. So yeah, it's it's definitely it's something that we are accustomed to in this household. Yes, and here I go again, shamelessly plugging. I did an episode with my son, who was uh, I think he was fourteen at the time. We we did both movies on one episode, and then I don't know how much long after, but I also interviewed Diane Franklin, who was in the first movie as one of the princesses. Mm. So um, yeah, one of my very first interviews. I think she was my second ever. So my first, like, I don't know how many interviews I've done at this point, but my first, <laughs> I don't know, uh, like eighty percent of my interviews, I, I I I don't feel like I'm good because like I'm. It's nerve-wracking talking to somebody that has been on film and and you know done voice work or things like that. And I, I usually like I'm just super nervous, and you can hear it. You know, I'm just like uh, I don't know how to speak <laughs> to you because you're because you're a celebrity. But um, they're just yeah, people. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they see, and I, I have to keep that in mind sometimes. That, that hey, we're just two people talking. Mm-hmm. You know. So. Um, and I felt I really felt that way in my last interview with uh, Gabriel Jarrett from from Real Genius. Like I was like, okay, gotta remember, he's just another guy. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, so so your husband, both of his parents are deaf. Uh, his dad is hard of hearing, and his mom is deaf. Yes. Okay. I uh, when I was younger, I actually met a kid 
who's um, both of his parents were deaf. And I, I, I want to say this was in the second grade. And that's just, it's just so interesting. Like, how, how are you born to deaf parents and then, um, you know, l learn sign language to be able to communicate with them growing up? That's just like, I can't even fathom it. You know, it's just very interesting. Oh, yeah. It's, it's exactly like our world. It's not, I mean, they just can't hear. It's not even, it's genetics. It's, I, I don't even really see it as like a big a big deal, I guess. I mean, there's yeah. there's times where it, it definitely is a completely different like kind of culture shock because I don't know all of the culture. Um, but it's not, uh, there's not this huge, great divide. Like he, because of genetics, he, deaf people have hearing children quite often. They actually have a, a mm -hmm. specific name for them. They're called CODAs. Uh, which is called child of deaf adult. I know this is a huge tangent. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's very common. There's a huge community and there's a huge community actually out here um, on the West coast of, of for uh, deaf people and for people who know sign language and, and everything. Um, I've been taking sign language classes, um, but it's, it's definitely a very interesting kind of dynamic to have. Yeah, I can totally see like um because like when when my youngest was born, I tried learning some of the basic stuff to communicate with him. And so I can understand like a child growing up learning the sign language mm -hmm. from the parents, but but like how did he learn um like speaking? Like did did somebody else live in the home with them uh, that was able to daycare. Daycare. Okay. And then they uh okay. And that, they have I speech, think that's speech therapists that come and and talk to them. Yeah, I think the, there was a scene like that in Mr. Holland's opus, mm -hmm, you know, because mm -hmm. his son was deaf. Yeah, so so there we go. A, another movie I reviewed. <laughs> okay, so back to Beauty and the Beast. Um, so we we do find that, uh, you know, she loves him too. Very, very sad scene. Um, I was definitely into this here. And uh, he, he turns back human. And I just love the reveal of his face oh, because it's, a, it's almost <laughs> a little too dramatic. But I dug the hell out of it and um the first uh the first thought that i had was oh it's tarzan's long lost brother no <laughs> i never heard that one before that's a good one yeah okay so good Woof. um yeah that's that's who he looked like he looked just like tarzan or tarzan looks like him i, I guess yeah. maybe they're um, related Ooh. they could be long lost brother who knows you know, terrible parents, right? Lost both kids, yeah, or well, right? lost lost one and didn't know how to train the other. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this is great. Everyone turns back. Now, did they all did did they age in human time? Because Chip is still a kid. Yeah, the theory is is that uh, time was basically frozen ah. for them for the castle. Um, that nobody really aged, which which makes sense. Yeah, it does. from the standpoint of like inanimate objects <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah. you're not gonna grow you're not gonna you're gonna always stay the same so it took him however long i think it's 10 20 years or is it 20? 21 years 21 years for him to learn his lesson so yeah he's completely frozen in that time it's just like groundhog day where he's frozen in that time period until he learns his lesson mm-hmm <laughs> yeah, so so really, Chip should be like twenty something years old in yeah. a kid's body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> but I, uh, if they're frozen, they're mentally frozen. I would hope so that you know you're not dealing with a very messed up child. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I, I do want to check out the, uh, the... Now, there's two sequels, right? Um, and they both take place during the movie? Or is it just one, the, the Christmas one? I just know of the Christmas one that takes place, yeah, during that winter time. Yeah. I, f- I feel like there's a third one, too, unless I misread that. But, um, yeah, the Christmas one, I definitely... Uh, I'm going to want to check out. Um, the Christmas one is precious. Is yeah, it? okay. It's pre- like, they're adorable, and you're just like, oh, little Christmas and little... You just you have to watch it like with snow and cocoa and like, <laughs> all bundled up. I have very weird <laughs> things that come out of my mouth sometimes. No, not at all. I, I think you know we we all do, right? Um, actually, that's the end of the movie. Everyone turns back, so we yeah we finally got to the end here. Yay! I have yeah. one irritation. What? Okay. I don't like that they changed his voice. I hated that as a child. Well, I didn't like the way he looked. I know. He's but... much sexier <laughs> as a beast. <laughs> you know, uh, the the voice makes a lot of sense because you guys remember Casper? Yeah. Yeah. He sounded Devin Sawa sounds nothing like Casper. This and is so true. as a kid when I watched that movie, I go, he sounds nothing like Casper. And so very same moment here like, huh, what happened to that nice voice I was talking about? You know? Yeah, no, he had like a great voice. Well, yeah, as him as the beast, they added like uh, lying growls to the mix yeah. of his yeah. voice. But but it's not the same. Yeah, he needs he needs the gruff. I like the gruff. It, yeah. would, it would make the pretty boy like yeah much better. It, it would bring the sexy back. He is French. <laughs> Damn the yeah, French. Yeah. No. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I guess, um, so, so one of you don't like his voice and the other one don't, doesn't like the look. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting take on that. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, he was still handsome as a human. But uh, yeah, the, the voice was probably the, the, my, my biggest uh, gripe uh, about that transformation scene. But I do like it, just how dramatic it was, too. <laughs> just like It's just that, that, that subtle pause, and then he turns around, almost like but the like, hair flip from Ariel. His, he gets, like, vacuum sucked away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically the end of the review. Let's get into ratings. Um, let's. Uh, you know what? Since I'm the newbie, how about I just jump in first? I usually let the guests go first. <laughs> go for it. See, see what you guys think I have to say here. Um, all right, so you guys already knew some of my gripes, uh, just about some of the scenes that just went over my head. Uh, like, I I know a lot of kids can't sit through past an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably, which explains why a lot of the animated movies are short. But, like, I think... I know Toy Story isn't animated CGI, but I think those are, you know, like, close to two hours. Like, this this could use a... In my opinion, and because of my experience, like this could have um, had some of those scenes that kind of explain things a little bit more clearer for someone like me or maybe for a child who wants to get into things like that. But but I think it's still well paced. Uh, The the music, I only knew like two songs, which no no problems there. Um, Belle is very lovable i think a lot of guys can relate to both gaston and beast at uh, many points here uh i could have used a little bit more lafu uh i really liked him uh maybe this is uh was also a time before they had characters like him have big roles such as like uh olaf is probably a bad example but just because we were talking about josh gad earlier Mm -hmm. um this this movie uh 
I I can't put it in a placement yet because I need more viewings to <laughs> give it a fair placement in my top five. However, I will put it in the ranks of your Little Mermaids and Aladdin. Uh, I will definitely put it up there. Um, I couldn't tell you if it's better than, you know, like which one it would be better, you know, in comparing to the ones that I did grow up watching. But I really did enjoy this. And to give it a number rating, gosh... You you know what? I'll be honest with you. At the before our our review, I was leaning on a four, <laughs> but after all the little nuggets and insights and and uh, you guys explaining a lot of things uh, to me, I'm gonna give it a four and a half. Oh, that's good. It's out of five, right? So, yeah. it, it, yes, out of five <laughs> five stars. You could break it up however you want it. Um, I can't give it a five because I can't say that I love it yet. I, uh, I I do want to give it more viewings. Um, I'm not going to give this any less of a, a rewatch than I would Little Mermaid and stuff like that. Because I will, again, I will put it up there in the ranks of those movies. So I will watch it as often as I will these other ones in, in the future. Because I think it is that good. Um, like I mentioned earlier for its 25th anniversary, I don't know if there's already plans in... Uh, plans in the works you know of them re-releasing it in the theaters but i hope they do again to reintroduce it to a newer generation and um, they did uh they did remaster it again uh okay. so there's definitely going to be another blu-ray to sell yeah they, they like, definitely... like a diamond release yeah. or um they released the diamond edition actually oh. uh what was it in 2007 I oh think. geez okay yeah it was the one that they did right before the little mermaid and um is this okay. a platinum yeah, this is the platinum edition. So Plat- was platinum before or after diamond? I don't know. I don't know how don't they know. do their thing. They're going to sell I, movies. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think platinum came first cuz I I I believe I have the diamond version of The Little Mermaid. Mm. Cuz yeah, those are a little bit more a little bit more. It's like they're like over 20 bucks. So I think Aladdin's still like 24 25 dollars on on the diamond. Like ugh. But um yeah, I'll be interested to to check that out. I'll probably end up buying it. Yes, please do. Please give Disney your money like they want you to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you guys? Well, we how we normally do the ratings is we pick an item from the uh, the movie mm-hmm. and rate it out of a five. Oh, I do that on my um, Back to the Future the Animated Series podcast. Ooh. That's what we do there. Yeah, we pick an item and that's what we rate it. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna rate it uh five dancing forks. <laughs> <laughs> there was gonna... a lot of brooms in one scene too. Yes, there were a lot. That's of... a lot of a lot of brooms for one house. I mean, not <laughs> the big house, but wow. Fantasia homage. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's where I was about to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rate it five bookstore ladders Ooh. wow okay. i've always you, you pr- wanted a, more than five i wanted a ladder that could slide back and forth between <laughs> a bookshelf i've always wanted that and it's because of this movie so that's what it's getting <laughs> i want one too even if i didn't have a library it is just a cool thing to have yeah. I, mean, I like things that you know it's it's just it's just like another scooter or something you know <laughs> Exactly. I wanted, I wanted to for it to be that fast too, you know. So, <laughs> uh, big three sixty spin. Um, 
Yeah, I no surprise there. I, I kind of figured <laughs> that it, it would be since you guys are so knowledgeable in this movie as well. Like, I, I really would have been side eyeing if it was anything less than a five. Like, like really, come on, <laughs> <laughs> we're tough. <laughs> you know, you know, safe right. Like, um, but yeah, thank you again so much for for coming on this. Like, I had a lot of fun. This is probably. I wouldn't say this is my longest review. I, I've definitely had some um, uh, some long episodes as well, but this was, I think, by far the most in depth and um, analytical into a movie. And so I just appreciate you guys coming on and uh, you know just opening my eyes to the world of that is Beauty and the Beast. Oh well, well thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I always like being analytical. Yeah, this is the yeah. first time we've ever guested on a podcast yeah. before. Yay! I, I that that makes me feel good. So so th- thanks for that. Um, yeah. So I encourage listeners to definitely check out your guys' show. Um, you know, f- just just like how with your first episode, nineteen eighteen. Who would have thunk that rom coms gotten back that far? So I'm sure you were just uh, coming across movies where you're like, "What the hell is this?" Mm-hmm. Like, yep. you know, I think. L- l- podcast listeners enjoy things like that so definitely check you out for movies that they may never have ever heard of before like i do another show called original remake and you know you can probably guess what that podcast is about and um in there i find sometimes like oh this is a remake okay let's watch the original and like well there we go and then we compare the two so it's kind of like that like you go back and be like oh there was a rom-com that older or, you know, that long ago. And so maybe, yeah, maybe you can introduce like a bunch of new movies to, to listeners. So you so, should uh, do Bedazzled. Yeah, that's one we've done that's a remake and we're going to watch the. Yeah, we we have I, watched the original Bedazzled. Yes. Oh, OK. I, I, I think I knew that was a remake um, and maybe just like didn't think to like care about watching the original. But I wasn't big on the remake. No, you should watch the original. Just, just, yeah. just for the moment of nuns jumping, uh, jumping on trampolines. Just, just do it. <laughs> oh gosh, my mind just went somewhere completely different with that imagery. <laughs> it was the seventies. Uh, it was a weird time, man. I bet it was. I, I, I will watch it. I will definitely check that out. Um, you, perhaps I can have you guys on that show. Uh, maybe covering this and the, uh, the, the remake of Beauty and the Beast. There, that might be an interesting Ooh, opinion piece. That there, that might be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Why don't you give uh, your plugs and, uh, you know, your site and all that good stuff where listeners can go check out your content? Our website is thecutaways.com. And we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Yep. That's where we that's where we live. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I definitely see you guys on there. And you guys, uh, you guys aren't ones that well, I know you guys were gone just temporarily uh, recently but uh, for the most part you guys definitely are active so yeah definitely uh, give them a follow um, for anyone that wants to follow me uh, you know I'm at HLF podcast um, if you want to send in any kind of feedback you can do so at uh, not at but to HLF podcast uh, at gmail.com I've already talked about original remake both that and hydrate level 4 can be found at followingfilms.com uh, back to the feature of the animated series. I covered that at barrenspace.com with my co-host Albie. And we got five. I probably mentioned about five times. Uh, <laughs> that can be found at quartetparts.com. So if anyone hasn't heard about that podcast, a good episode. You know, if you 
want to check it out is you know the Disney animated series, the top five. So I think that one was slightly over two hours, but we had a lot of feedback, and I was so surprised to hear like so many movies that were mentioned that I had not seen. So um, it was uh, it was definitely a, a fun episode to do. So Disney fans, check that one out. Um, so yeah, for uh, my guests here, why don't you guys say uh, farewell here oh, okay. to uh, my three listeners? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having us. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we normally just yell bye into our microphones, so <laughs> I guess that's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Ready? Bye. <laughs> Love it. Okay, and uh, until the next episode, I'll see you guys later. Thanks. Taylor's old as time True as it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly Just a little change Small to say the least both a little scared, neither one prepared, beauty and the beast. Ever just the same, ever a surprise, ever as before, ever just as sure as the sun will rise. As old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast.